cul-de-sac contemplating murder. Swerving with my circus, looking for a purpose. Pseudo clean record, hope got Okay, so Darren, that I was telling you about, he took me to this place tonight in Amarillo, Texas. Amarillo, Texas, downtown. He works at a major, major firm here in Amarillo. And Darren's kind of a big wig in the area, and you're going to dig this. Tell me what you think about this business model. So there's a dude that owns like a, a series of buildings down here. And he owns, I think, you know, it's, it's leased out by restaurants and you know, one could be a hotel, one could be a business area, you know, where businesses lease it out or maybe even government leases out, but down kind of in the basement, it's like, it's not a basement. You go, it's outdoors. You walk down these stairs and it kind of feels like a basement and, but it's outside and you go up to this door and you have this key card, right? And you, you swipe the key card and you go in and this place is called the whiskey cellar, Right. And you go in and I'm expecting like a speakeasy. You know, oh, yes. It, it reminded me of a speakeasy because we go inside and I, it opens up and there's all these lockers in there. And in the lockers, you can see, you know, their mesh, you know, the steel mesh and there's like, there's a lock, you know, and you have to have right. your key for yours. And his is labeled with, with his business. And there's all these whiskey bottles in there, you know, bourbon, whiskey, scotch, all this stuff. And there's all these people and I'm recognizing, and it has the name of all these people, you know, a little gold plated thing. And I was recognizing some of the names, you know, I grew up in Amarillo. So I recognize some of the bigger names around here and you're looking at, Oh, what do they got? Oh, he's got some Weller. Oh, you know, th- this guy's got Pappy, you know, and so Darren opens up his and, you know, we had a we had a couple of little snooters after I got done with my meetings. And man, it was just so cool. And I was like, man, what is it with this place? It's like it's a membership. He's like, yeah, it's a membership. You know, you pay X amount and you, you know, but he said the good thing about it, you know, and it it it, it has, you know, chairs and stuff. You know, it's like an old school, like not necessarily speakeasy, but it makes you feel like you're in the dc crowd you know you're going to your private club or whatever it's got the nice chairs it's got the you know little fireplace that you control with remote control tv and all that stuff but it's 24 7 you have access to your own thing 24 7 so you find yourself out you know hey you know there's nothing to do hey let's go let's go down to the the whiskey cellar or the whiskey what what i call it uh the whiskey uh not the cellar what i call it whiskey vault and, uh, you know, you take your buddies down there, you know, have a good time. It was just really cool. I was like, man, I would totally pay. And their price was reasonable. I, I if yeah, I they're lived not here, expensive. Yeah. No, I totally be a member of that because, you know, in, in our lines of work, you know, you got to entertain people sometimes. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how profitable that would be, but it's almost like a gym, right? Yeah. I, did it have a liquor license at all or was it? I'm sure it's got to have something, right? I don't. They don't sell liquor there. You bring your own in. And you just store that's what, it there. Yeah, that's why I'd be kind of curious. So, because we have a place here, and then there was a place back in Maryland. Like the place out here used to be awesome. So it was Fox Cigar Bar, and you had the open bar area where anybody could just go in, smoke, drink, whatever. But it, they served alcohol, right? So that's that's what made them money. And it was at the corner, the inside corner of a shopping center. So on one side, you had the open bar area then you had a courtyard that separated the other side and the other side was the club area so you go in the club area and it had nice leather chairs it had a pool table it had a high top so you could actually work during the daytime high speed internet you had your lockers and, and everything like that and dude when uh i used to be i was a member for a couple years 
and I think I paid $110 a month, but you got a $100 gift card oh. to buy cigars there. So essentially I was, which I bought cigars anyway, and, and you could buy cigars or, or booze or whatever you wanted to with it, right? So you would use that. So essentially I paid $10 a month to go hang out at the private section of this thing uh, to go work during the daytime or whatever. And they've got another one who happens to be the biggest distributor of Buffalo Trace products up in Scottsdale. They've actually got like a movie theater style setup, And it's the same thing. It's like a hundred some odd dollars. Problem is some D-bag a couple years ago, they had to change the rules because like if you came into town and me and you want to go down there, hey man, let's come in here and have a couple smokes and drink and, you know, do some work. Well, I guess they had this guy who was coming in every day and then starting to bring in like 10 and 15 people. Right. Uh, yeah, so yeah. these 10 and 15 people, though they're buying drinks and stuff, it's like, well, hey, a guy, you know, I'm a member. I want to come in. I want to sit down and I can't sit down anywhere because this guy's got his 15 people there. Then yeah. they ended up changing the rules and it became well, anybody who comes in here has to have a membership. And I'm like, well, I don't have any friends that have a membership and I don't know enough people that do that. So I would, uh, you know, at that point I just canceled. But surprisingly, it's not overly expensive. I mean, I, I know we've I've seen them in two cities and, you know, depending on what you do. I mean, this one here. If you're smoking cigars and buying drinks, it, it makes sense. It's like, so yeah, I'm paying $10 a month to go have a private club. Yeah. You know? Well, it's, I, you know, back in the day, I bet you anything, you know, because I walked into this place. I've never been anything quite like this place. I've read about places like this. I've written about places like this, you know, based on what I've seen in other books, you know, your skull and bones type places, you know, that the DC establishment, you know, your smoke filled room type places where you have your, you know, super, you know, 600, you know, dollar glass scotch and your, you know, Cohiba cigar or whatever you're having. But it's like, that's what a gentleman's club, right. Is supposed to be right. But I bet you anything, you know, now we say a gentleman's club and you think a strip club, right. I bet you anything that these were probably real popular back in the day, especially, you know, after prohibition ended and, you know, it's a place where the guys could go, you know, not the pub, not the bar, but a place where, you know, everybody can respect each other, you know, and you can trust each other. You know, it's just kind of gentleman's honor and you have a membership and all that stuff. But I bet you a few of them got a little out of control. You know, OK, we've got our entertainment, and everything. OK, let's bring some girls in here to you know, right. serve the drinks. And they get they get the outfits get skimpier and skimpier. And next thing you know, they're strippers and all of them did it. Now it just became the gentleman's <laughs> club. So. I mean, you know, and I asked Darren because I was like, this is so cool because it had that speakeasy feel. And even Darren was like, I wish they'd make it a little grubbier on the outside, you know, have like hire a homeless guy to sleep outside, you know, to make, (laughs) you know, a little bit more cigarette butts and the planters around. But uh, I said, you know, is this is this all above board? You know, am I allowed to talk about this? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, so it's all good. Right. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, so it's not a secret. He's like, no, it's not a secret, but it's one of those things. They don't have a Facebook page. You know, right. it's like you kind of got to know somebody who's in there to, you know, approach the dude who owns it and say, hey, you know, like a membership. And it's going, yeah, no problem. You know, there's certain rules. I asked it, you know, because they could have gatherings there, but it's so small. I mean, you pack 30 people in there, it's going to be crowded. But it was right. just like, man, that was just really cool to know that something like that's in Amarillo, Texas you know, right downtown. It was, well, I think they're all over, dude. I mean, you go to Atlanta, Atlanta's got a super cool speakeasy. It's expensive as, as all get out. I don't think they do a membership. I think you just have to pay. That's how they funnel it. But if you're downtown Atlanta, uh, next door to the, uh, Sheridan, 
There is an old style phone booth that is up next to a building and it's a red <laughs> phone booth. I think it's actually called like the red phone booth or something like that. <laughs> but you go in there and you dial the code on the phone and the door opens up and you go in and it's three, four pool tables. And, but I think you're honest. I never, I never really, it was actually funny because, so I, I came back from a trip to go visit my daughter. Uh, she had her white coat ceremonies. Congratulations to her. She's been, you know, I bust her balls a lot, uh, figuratively, uh, but she, she's, she's kicking ass. And can you, real quick, can you explain to me? Cause I never really asked. I only assumed I knew what it was. Like, what is the white coat ceremony? I was like, what does that mean? So basically, it's when you finish your didactic phase and you're actually getting ready to go into clinics, hospitals, that type of stuff to, you know, quote unquote, shadows of, you know, uh, providers, that type, that's when they give it to you. It's, you know, I don't want to take away from the significance of it because it is a huge milestone and they make a big deal. And my opinion, though, is the school makes a big deal about it because it's an expensive school. And parents want to see some type of return, right? Because it's, it, the school's over two years. It's over. It's like two and a half years after your, your bachelor's. So parents want to say, hey, I'm spending all this money. I need to see some pomp and circumstance and this and that. And, you know, I told my daughter, I was like, hey, congratulations, because extremely proud of her. I said, but don't lose your focus because yeah. you need to graduate and you need to be certified and pass the licensing, right? Because at the end of the day, if you don't pass your licensing, nobody gives a crap about your white coat. So yeah. celebrate it. You've earned every bit of that because, you know, she's been, it's, it's been all classroom from here on out and, or from the beginning to this point and she smoked it. So she's busted her ass in it. Uh, but it's like, don't lose what, you know, don't, don't lose focus on what the goal is. I took you off track there. You were going somewhere and then I interrupted you and maybe tell you about white. <laughs> no, I, I think I was talking about that. Red phone booth, but, but yeah. anyway, with, with the, with the gentleman's club, I think you're onto something because it was funny when I went to go visit my daughter, uh, I was watching the Carolina Duke game, which we don't have to go back and rehash any of that for any college basketball fans. But uh, my wife's like, well, there's gotta be a Carolina bar right here. Let's pull it up. And I pull it up. And the first thing that pulls up is a gentleman's club. I'm like, yep. I guess I'm like, here's where we're going. She's like, no. Actually, I don't even think she said anything. I think she just kind of looked at me and was like, okay, we'll, we'll find a Buffalo Wild Wings or something like that. But, it, you know, it, now that you say that, I, I think about it. I'm like, well, why did that pop up first? And it actually makes sense. I mean, it's all been lost in the translation nowadays, right? But I think truly you're, you're probably onto something where it was a place where a bunch of dudes can go hang out. You didn't have chicks. You didn't have family. You watched some sports. You could sit there and talk, shoot the shit, smoke a couple of cigars, have a drink, and, and, and you go home. And then, yeah. you know, you're probably right, you know, somewhere over the last 30, 40, 50 years, if not longer than that, I don't know when it changed over to strip clubs or whatever it was, you know, yeah, now we brought a waitress in and the next thing you know, you're throwing twenties and hundos and, and then, you know, she's become synonymous with, uh, you know, with strip clubs. You know, we were going to, we, we are going to talk about the state of the union, but you, we bring up strip clubs and, you know, honestly, strip clubs have never really been my thing. Never. Um, I just don't, you know, a couple, there's a couple of things, two, two main reasons that they're not my thing. Number one is every dude in there thinks the same thing. If I can go home with one of these girls, I can take her home. I can save her, uh, whatever. But they're all thinking the same thing. <laughs> you can put her out to community college. <laughs> something. But I don't know what, I don't, I don't get it. Num okay. So that's number one. Number two, they all smell the same. And it's not a good smell. Put it to you that way. It's like mixed perfume, body odor, and like chewing gum, like big red or, you know, double mint chewing gum. They all smell the same. And it's just like, there's a story. Every girl that's up there stripping 
there's a story behind that, and it's not a good one most of the time. And like, oh, she's just stripping to put herself through college. Yeah, maybe one in a hundred are doing that. And, you know, strip clubs are well known for, you know, being drugged ins. And it's just never really been my thing. And, you know, with the prevalence of porn nowadays, I'm going somewhere with this, <laughs> with the prevalence of porn nowadays with kids, especially. And, you know, uh, what I've heard from some of my friends and, you know, some of the, the things I've heard online and in the podcast is, uh, Kids, especially adolescent males, are really getting further and further away from sex, um, which you can call that a good or a bad thing. I think it's relatively unhealthy, but you know, at least they're monogamous. I guess that's a that's a plus. But I guess my point is, with the prevalence of porn and the trend of you know sexual desire with adolescent males going down, uh, I think strip clubs, you know, going to see fewer and fewer of them. And the people you're going to see inside of them are going to probably be the, you know, close to the slime of humanity. I mean, I didn't think we'd talk about strip clubs. I did not plan on talking about this, but there it is. Are you a strip club guy, Roger? <laughs> no, no. Well, one, I, I couldn't say yes anyway. My wife would kill me if she ever listened. This, this would be like the one episode that she actually would listen to. She's like, what? We come up. <laughs> no, a lot of the same reasons you, you know, that you said. And, and I mean, I think you're right. I mean, when you look at, and Elon Musk has talked about this. I haven't really looked at the figures, but you know he's talked about uh, as far as population and and population, you know, the decline of the of the amount of people we have, and and really people don't like the way he phrased it because it came down to you need workers, you need laborers, right? You need labor, and you're not going to have enough labor uh, to support the economy and this. And people didn't like that or whatever. And I haven't looked into the numbers across the board, but I mean, when you look at if you look at it holistically, right, look at everything that's going on with the woke crowd when you, and I know a lot of this stuff is anecdotal. So I, I guess what we'll to, to, you know, actually gurgle some of this stuff one day, but you know, it seems like, you know, you have this wussification of the American male, the toxic masculinity. It's not cool to be a guy anymore. And this it's like, well, Hey, I hate to break it to you, but you need a dude and a chick to, to make babies. I mean, th that's what you have to have. Call it what you want to, you can have what, whatever. I just know that you need an XX and an XY to create another XX or XY, right? That's just, it's, it's what's got to happen, what's got to happen. But when you look at the wussification uh, of the American male, it makes sense what you're saying because now you just have, like, I know what was on my mind when I was 18 years old, man. I mean, I, I, probably the same thing was on your mind and the same thing that was on every one of our listeners' minds out there when they were 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. And I don't think you can say that anymore with a lot of these kids. And part of it is there's an instant gratification behind the porn that they watch or whatever that we didn't have access to back in the day. You know, you had, you know, you all make the joke about the, the Sears and Roebuck catalog or, you know, I guess in our day we'd had the Victoria's Secret or something. Hey, look, I see her in her bra or her panties. And porn wasn't accessible back then where it is now. And so now, you know, of course, back then you're forced like, hey, man, you want to go see some boobies? You, you know, you better get the gift of gab and be able to go pick up chicks. That's how that's going to happen, right? Or go to the strip club, one or the other. And those that had to go to the strip club normally didn't have the gift of gab and couldn't go, you know, find a girlfriend or, or, or what have you. Nowadays, that's all gone where they can just flip on, you know, uh, the laptop or whatever it is, you know, go to some porn site, handle business, and, and three minutes later, they're done. It's like, okay, that's great. One, it hurts you. And I see this across the board. It hurts your social skills. It absolutely does. I mean, just beyond like having kids and meeting somebody, just your social interaction uh, it, it, it almost becomes like a form of Asperger's where you're like, 
man, are you autistic? And I don't mean that in a joking way, but people, they have lacked the development of social skills, right? And how to interact, like how to interact with another dude. I tell you, you know, if I don't want to ramble too much and I'll kick it back to you, but like one of the proudest days I had, because you know how it is, like when you're with your dad, when you were a kid, you're like, ah, because you're not going to have anything in common with your dad's friends. You're 18, 17, whatever. And I, I went to a, a tire shop with a buddy of mine. He's actually a listener, Brian. So I'm giving you a shout out here. Um, but he used to own a tire shop and, uh, I took Caleb out there and one of the proudest moments, uh, was when Caleb came out and, you know, Brian was like, Hey, Caleb, what's going on, buddy? And Caleb's like, Hey, what, you know, what's happening? Well, then they started talking about cars, you know, and I sat there and what I watched was because I, you know, as a, as a father and at that age, you know, you don't really see them grow, uh, you know, socially, right. Uh, you just see them at home and, and, and that's about it. But I got to watch him interact with another grown man who's my age and actually carry on a conversation and, and, and stand his ground and, and be able to converse, right? Like intelligently and, and exchange ideas and articulate his thoughts. And I'm like, man, my boy's actually growing up. And I think you miss a lot of that nowadays because not just because of porn, but I, I think that is the downside to the internet where you're not forced to get out there anymore. Uh, to actually meet people, shake hands. Here's how you shake a hand. Look a man in the eye, you know, open the door for your, for your wife or your girlfriend, that type of stuff. I, I think this generation is missing out on it. How old was he when he had that conversation? That was, uh, it was either 18 or 19. See, I mean, a couple of years ago. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. It's just, yeah, that, well, we could go down this rabbit hole for, for a while, I'm sure. But, you know, I, I don't know if it's just cause I'm getting old, you know, and crotchety, uh, but number one, uh, I, I like to see kids in the service industry, you know, anywhere from 18 to 24. Uh, Absolutely. They are getting that social thing. But it, it seems like, you know, waiters and waitresses, of course, you know, but, you know, kids uh, who are checking you out at the HTO where we go to to get our tea and our water, you know, our iced tea and our water. It's like, man, some of them just have, I mean, it, these blank stares. They, I don't know if again, I not being mean, but is there something not right upstairs? What's going on? And I don't think they're autistic or anything. I just think that, well, I just don't know, don't know how to re- interact, but by the same token, at least they're out there. You know, a lot of kids aren't, uh, you know, out there having a job and at least getting that a, a little bit of exposure. So again, you know, it's very anecdotal and it's me getting old. It's like kids nowadays. I don't know if that's part of my mentality with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Shoot, that's one thing, you know, I, people used to tell us about our kids. It's like, man, they're, they're just, they're really good. They know how to talk. And, you know, a few years ago, 10 years ago, I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's good. You know, I knew how to talk too. But as time moves on, <laughs> you know, I know how to talk to a person too. But, you know, as time moves on, I realize how, how great of a compliment that was even 10 years ago, you know, at age, uh, you know, uh, 14 and, uh you know, 11, it's like, wow, you know, these kids can actually be respectful to an adult because at that age, it's all about respect. You know, a 14 year old, what are they going to really have in common with an adult? You know, the adult has to, you know, lead the way in that conversation, but they were able to hold a conversation. So yeah, it's a, it's a dying art. I don't know. But you hit it on the head with the service industry. Yeah. All three of my kids worked in the service industry uh, when I was young, my parents had me work in the service industry. It didn't take me very long to figure out I did not want to work in the food service industry, but you're forced to interact. And especially if you're in that waiter or waitress role where your tip 
uh, you know, is dependent upon the rapport that you can establish. And, and I remember telling my kids at 16, 17 years old, like one, you're going to make good money for your age doing this, but these are life skills that are going to carry on to your 25, 30 years old beyond this. Yeah. Uh, you don't see it now, but like I see it full blown with my daughter, the one that's in school. She is a beast. I mean, she is, uh, she reminds me, she, you always had that, you know, if I knew then what I knew now, know now and this and that, she has been a sponge for all that. And, and she is probably the closest I could ever get to like, man, I wish I knew then what I knew now, because she has taken all that, that we've taught her and the experiences uh, of working in the food service industry. Uh, she did that for several years. And when she was in college full time, uh, she was working three jobs, you know, yep. I mean, she I see her now at her age, you know, at being 23 years old, uh, you know, that, that, that's as close as I can get to, man, if I could go back in time and just have what I know now and, and, and she's able to, to, to use those experiences. But I, th I think you're spot on, man. And for our listeners out there that have kids, you know, I get it. You know, nobody, one of my first jobs was at Dayton's restaurant in, in Salisbury, Maryland. And, uh, I worked at the sizzler when I was in high school, cooking <laughs> steaks and stuff like that. Nice. I worked at Kentucky fried chicken for about 45 minutes. Uh, I quit cause they wouldn't let me sit down when I ate. So I was like, uh, yeah, I, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, I went on break, dude. I got like a center breast. They just come up with the center breast. Right. So it was all meat, no bone. It was like the hefty chicken tender. And, uh, I just gone through the training thing and they're like, okay, get what you want. And, and it was all free it was chicken. So I grabbed like three or four pieces, man. I I sit down at the table and the manager's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm getting ready to eat. And he's like, no, you need to go stand up in the back. And I was like, seriously? And he's like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm done with this job. So, so, so yeah. So you, were you an actual waiter at any point? Um, no, I, when I worked at, uh, when I worked at Dayton's, I worked behind the counter, like takeout. Uh, I would help at bus tables, takeout, but I was never actually like a waiter, you know, type thing where I had my you? own side tables. Did you ever have a job where you had to interact with customers? Oh yeah, all, all every single one of them. I mean, I I was you know, uh, Sizzler. I was behind because I was cooking, but like Dayton's, I was out front with the customers. Yeah. Um, when I worked at Kmart, you know, I was on the floor as okay. one of the team so, leaders okay. or whatever. Same. So okay. yeah, absolutely. So what what I'm going to propose to you is that because I, I did I did too, man. I I was the waiter. I was I worked at Bell's. Have you ever heard of a Bell's? B E A L L apostrophe yes. They're all closed now. It's like a JC Penny, but you know, low rent yeah. JC Penny. Yep. So, you know, I, I sold shoes there, sold shoes at JC Penny, worked on the floor, you know, selling clothes. And I had to deal with customers, right? And I don't want to I, I was gonna make a comment about you, but I'm gonna make it about me because that's what I do. <laughs> but so <laughs> you know, I, I, all those years of I worked my first job was at a toy store like a big box toy store, like a Toys R Us and dealing with customers, man, dealing with difficult people sometimes, but most of the time people are nice. Most of the time people are nice. It's that one difficult one you get that just ruins your whole day. In the line of work that we did and we still do to this day, I really think that that benefited us. And I really don't have a problem. You know, when you go through all these training courses, right. Or you go through, you know, any, anytime you're going to get a certification, is he good at this job? Is she good at this job or not? It all boils down to establishing rapport relatively quickly, right? And so many people have a hard time establishing rapport. And I'm just like, when I'm an instructor or a mentor, I'm like, I don't understand how this is so hard for you. Well, because I got to, it's like, you, yeah, you got to pretend like you care. 
So what? That's an easy <laughs> thing to do. I did that growing up. I mean, so don't you think that, you know, do you think that the, the, the experience you had dealing with customers, you know, working on the floor helped you specifically, not necessarily in this line of work, but as a recruiter for the army? I mean, do you think that, oh, that yeah. you, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. That's, that was my question. Dude, I like, I'm going to tell you this, you know, and this, I know I'm blowing smoke up my, my own butthole, but I was a damn good recruiter. I was a good recruiter and I had a good team. Uh, we were all good recruiters. And, and I would say that when I looked at, you know, one of our listeners, Mo, he was a recruiter with me and we had some good times, but a lot of our backgrounds were very similar. You know, a lot of blue collar growing up, you're forced to be out there, forced to, to engage and forced to, inter- to interact. And I tell you, the rubber meets the road, right? You talk about, you know, put your money where your mouth is go on a recruiting command assignment. You will find out what you are made of. You know, you talk about extroverts and I'm a people person. Yeah, we're going to find out just how much of a people person you are uh, when you got to go up and and cold walk up to people. And like you said, dude, you have to establish that rapport in five or 10 seconds. Or I mean, because you got to look at this way, you know, at the time I'm like a 35 year old dude or whatever I was, 30 year old dude, you know, and you're going up to 18 year old kids, you know, snot nose high schoolers, that don't want to have anything to do with the military, much less you. Uh, and you have to establish that poor within the first 30 seconds. Otherwise, that kid's going to give you the middle finger and, 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 and flip you off, right? And just walk out. And so, you know, you have to be able to break that ice. You have to be able to grab that attention. And you mentioned it earlier. That's the, you know, the, the critical thing is, and I see it with my kids, and, and my wife brought this up the other day with talking to my boy. You know, it's finding that common denominator. What do you have in common? You know, we obviously, if we have a conversation with a 14 year old, the 14 year old will never be able to relate to you. You have to relate to the 14 year old. But when you're at that age, that young adult, you can relate to each other. So you have to obviously pick topics where not only can I relate to you, but you can also relate to me and we can have that dialogue back and forth. Now I get it. You know, there's a little bit of the, you're having to talk down a little bit and, you know, let me bring my, you know, sometimes, right. Depending on what the topic is or or whatever, but dude, you're spot on, man. All, All that stuff growing up, uh, and it's, you know, Rolodex. Yeah. I've used that word. I've used Rolodex more, uh, in the past week than I probably have in the last five years and, and go, go to any 15 year old and be like, Hey man, what's in your Rolodex? It's like, what, what, what's the Rolodex? It's like, that's the speed dial on your phone, right? What? That's your favorites on your iPhone, but it's, it's, it's creating the Rolodex. You know, it's, it's the experience. The more you do it, the more objections you hear, the more rebuttals you hear, the more answers you hear, you know, it's funny. I was watching them. You ever see the movie limitless? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. where he takes the pill. So I actually had to go back and, uh, this may sound corny, but I had to go back and my wife's like, what are you doing? And I rewound it like an hour or whatever. So at our age, we have people that go through significant emotional events and, and, you know, Hey man, people start dying, right? People start getting hurt. They get cancer and this and that. And a lot of times you, you know, you want to say, Hey, let me know if there's anything I can do for you, even though you know, there's nothing you can do for them. Right. You're just throwing it out there. But, you know, he actually come uh, when the guy has cancer that's getting ready to buy the company or they're going to do a deal. He's like, hey, I, I understand this might be a useless platitude, but if there's anything. And so anyway, I go back and it's just something I put in my mind. And, uh, you know, next time an opportunity like that comes up, I, I use that. And, and that's what recruiting did. And growing up, you know, in the service industry and that type of stuff is you come up with all these snippets and everything that you throw in the back of your mind. Right. And so when you meet somebody, you, you have something to throw out to either A, be a conversation starter or actually have an answer to something or a response to something. 
Yeah, and you know, I think the Rolodex thing sparked something. So I was going to talk about false rapport, and I will in a second. But the Rolodex thing is important because so many people I meet uh, and work with, to be honest with you, uh, not including Jesse, Dina, and Diego, who are listeners, and but they'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I say this. So many people are not global thinkers. Uh, and when I say global thinkers, it's like bigger picture. What's the bigger picture? Because when you were sitting there talking about your Rolodex and you're like, you know, hey, when I'm talking to this person, this and that, it's like, yeah, you may you may strike out on this one kid who, you know, you want to join the army. You may strike out. He's like, yeah, you know, bro, I'm sorry, but, you know, the college just called me and they offered me a scholarship. But you, but since you've treated that kid well and you've treated the parents well, because that's really who, who you really got to recruit is the parents. You know, maybe that kid's got a friend, you know, and right. maybe if you've if you've made a good impression, you know, the the good impression, the rapport you've built with that family, that kid or whatever. Oh, no. You know what? That that Sergeant Jackson guy, he's pretty cool. You, you should talk to him. You know, that's what you're going after. It's not just that one kid you're talking to. So you sound that like you've one... been to rec- you sound like you've been to recruiting school because, <laughs> you know, they call it. That's that's one of the leads you want is referrals. You yes. want referrals. Yes. And that's like, so to put it in layman's terms, it's called compound interest, right? Uh, that's what it I, was is. Talk, I was talking to somebody today and this person said, uh, this person listens occasionally. So I will not shout her out because she doesn't listen often enough, but she'll listen to this one. Cause I'm going to call her out tomorrow. I was like, you need to listen to the next episode. Cause 29 minutes in, I referenced you, but I didn't say your name. Be off. You need to listen more. But she, she was like, I was like, Hey, when are you going to introduce me to these people? you know, group of people. And she's like, oh, whenever you want, who do you want to meet? I was like, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Because that first person I talk to is not going to be the one. They're not going to be the one. I'll get there later. You know, it's just, it's global thinking. Not enough people do that. Too many people go by the book. They go by the checklist. And I'm not going to say they're failures, but they're not as optimally successful as they should be. So I want to go back to false rapport though. A lot of, I see this with Marine recruiters a lot. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. That's why Marines get the dumbest people. I know there are a lot of smart Marines out there and some of the best, you know, warriors I've ever seen are Marines, but, uh, it's that false rapport, you know, you, you have to go in and this is extrovert, introvert, all that stuff. You have to go in, like you have to play a trick with your mind. Tell me if I'm right or wrong, or if this is just in my own mind. Do you really, okay, let's go back to being a waiter or a waitress. Do you really care about the person who, you know, you're waiting on? Do you really care about them? What difference are they going to make in your <laughs> life? I mean, come on. But if you go in, you're genuine, right? You're genuine. You're going for that tip, right? You're going for that tip. You're going to treat them well. You're going to treat them right. Because that's how you want to be treated. The golden rule, right? You know, go back to the Bible. It's all in the Bible. But do you really care about them? Do you? No, you don't. But you convince yourself that you do, right? You have to, you have to flip a switch in your mind where you actually believe the rapport that you're putting out there. Now, if you get good enough at it, maybe this is a sociopathic tendency on my part. You get good enough at it, you do care. But at the end of the day, you can flush it down the toilet. It's like toilet paper. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm done with that. Okay, move on. Got my good tip. Move on to the next table and do the same thing. Now, I do think that does take a toll. At least it does on me. It takes a toll. It takes a lot of energy out of me. But you have to convince yourself that you, oh, wow, 
you're into underwater chess playing. Wow. That's, that's super interesting. Tell, tell me more about that. Do I really, really care about that? Of course I care about learning more knowledge. I'm a student of the world. I, I like stuff, but I'm going to flush it down the toilet, but that false rapport, I mean, you've probably saw it in recruiting command and definitely in this job, you know, the job we used to do. It's like that false rapport. I mean, with kids, especially nowadays, their bullshit, their bullshit sensor is like finely, finely tuned, man. That thing is, that thing is very well, precise. Because false rapport is BS. You know, that's it is. The, the thing I would add. That. I can. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing I would add to what you're saying to, to take it a step farther for our listeners out there. False rapport is when you have no genuine interest, but you fake it, right? Let me tell you how I made it in recruiting command and, and, and our jobs that in our previous life and even now in the business sense. Once you realize that rapport is not about you, it's about the other individual, now you're on to something. Because here's what happens. You know, the Good first point. step is determine needs and interest. Okay. I determine that in, and, you, and, and take the waiter as an example. I need to determine the needs and interests. Once I determine the needs and interests, it's very easy for me to get behind that because not, now it's not about the conversation with underwater chess playing and this and that, right? It's about me providing a service to you to get what I want. And, and it changes the perspective. It changes the objective. And then when you talk about truly establishing rapport, rapport is not me and you talking about what I want to talk about and making me happy. Rapport is talking about what you think or what I think you want to talk about to make you happy to get what I want. Right. That, that's, that's why you establish rapport. And that's, that's the end result. And that's where, you know, it's, you talk about global thinking. It, it is the short sort it's the short sighted, uh, short sightedness of rapport. Oh, we just got to get along. Well, no, because you know what, if it's false rapport on your end, it's false rapport on their end as well. You both are gripping and gritting. Hey man, good to see you. This nobody gives a shit. You know, you just go through that, but it's like, no, you, you have to determine what those needs and interests are. And then that becomes the objective, not, uh, you know, whatever the topic is or, or whatever else, because that was my whole thing with recruiting. I walk up to a kid, 18. My first thing was like, Hey man, start up conversation. Is this a college kid? Is this a college bound kid? Is this a guy that just wants to work on cars? Is this a guy that wants to, to travel the world, determine those needs and interests. Now, once I have that, then I will take that and apply it to what I know. So, cause we all like to talk about ourselves, right. And what we like, you know, what we're doing so I can take that and I hide that. I wrap it into, well, here's how the army can help you do that. So now I'm relating to that individual. I'm able to talk about the army and all the great things it's done for me. And the next thing you know, at the end of the day, this, this kid's back there, you know, raising his right hand and uh, swearing to support and defend the constitution against all enemies, foreign <laughs> and domestic, <laughs> you know? And then a month and a half later, he's cursing your name for the rest <laughs> of his career. No, you know what? I didn't have too many cuss. I didn't have too many people cuss me out because I never like because you don't have to have you don't have to lot of people to have them join the army. And I know we did a recruiting episode, which by the way, maybe one of our listeners can help us. This thing is getting ready to go over a thousand plays on that one episode, dude, and have no clue why. No, that's no that's clue Mo. why. That's Mo. He listens to it every day on his because <laughs> Mo was on that episode. Mo or Chris? Because wasn't Chris on that episode too? Yeah, they, they probably yeah. both listen. They but probably the thing is, to- you don't have to lie to any of them. You know, you tell them again. It's all relating to their needs and interests. Because here's the deal: whatever it is in life, hey, what's your goal? Well, I want to get here. Okay. Well, if I can show you a faster path, you know, path to getting there. Uh, versus what you already have in your mind. Well, any logical person is going to say, well, yeah, I want that path. And that's how you have to lay it out. 
you just don't have to lie about it because in a lot of ways, and the army is not for everybody, but in a lot of cases, it is the fastest way to get to where you want to go. At least where, you know, the position that I grew up in. I mean, some folks are different and different resources, right? So I think that recruiting command, a couple points, and then we got to, we got to get into the state of the union couple. Cause this is a really great conversation, man. Um, Josh, Josh is here. He's just being really quiet. Uh, for you, those yeah, I was going to say, YouTube. we didn't even address the, the <laughs> elephant in the room, you know, with Josh not being here. Yeah. Josh is dealing with some stuff tonight and, uh, everything will work out, but, uh, couple, couple of points with recruiting command. Uh, I think what they should do, and I thought about this and I might've mentioned it to you. It's like, bro, put me in recruiting command now. Stick me in in one of these centers. I'll knock it out of the park. You know, I'll knock it out of the park. Uh, maybe not for the same salary I'm getting now, but, you know, if they could, even if I, I would do it voluntarily, seriously, I would do it voluntarily because I could talk to the parents because I'm 49 years old. I've been there. I got a daughter in the army. You know, she, you know, I, I, I encouraged her to, you know, do the simultaneous membership program, you know, and go enlisted first. It's like, man, bro, I could, I would not incorporate civilians who have military experience, who are still passionate about, it, because I do think to this day, I think it's a really, really good option for most people. They just don't know. They don't know right. what they don't know. And, you know, you were a good recruiter. And I think that you and your team are probably the exceptions to the rule, really. And you know that. I think that most recruiters are decent. I think they're well-trained. I think they're decent, but they just, they don't know what they don't know. Same as the, you know, parents they're trying to recruit, uh, you know, but you get, you know, get a few years under your belt and, you know, find it. I, I, I'd knock it out of the park now and I do it. Voluntarily. Well, yeah. Well, you, you, you said, it, you already said it yourself, you know, you and your kids are a product of the benefits of the army. Dude, you know, who knows the least about the army people in the freaking army. They can't tell you one thing about the army, you know, and that was the thing like, Hey, I completed, you know, all my upper level, you know, education, post-secondary has all been through the military, every bit of it, you know, the traveling all been through the adventure, all been through the army. And so it's very easy as like you're saying right there, it's very easy to sit here and say, Hey, this is what it's done for me. But I've got folks that went to the army for 25 years, didn't take one college class, two duty assignments, never went to any schools didn't do anything. And so it's like, well, so, Hey, what'd you do, you know, in the army for 25 years? Well, you know, went to the motor pool, <laughs> well, they can, you know? they can tell you what they hated about it. I do to yeah. this day, la- last night, as a matter of fact, I'm still recruiting my own daughter who is a Lieutenant in the U S army. Who's having a, you know, she's, she's at a crossroads as lieutenants come to where they have to make decisions, you know, on which way they're going to go. Are they going to stay in their branch? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? And, you know, she's 24 years old and all credit to her being, she's making all the right moves. I'm, I'm proud of my daughter. Like you're proud of yours. You know, she's making all the right moves, but you know, she's confronted with a choice. It's like, okay, down the road, how is this immediate gratification or is this going to benefit you 10 years down the road? And so I'm still recruiting her to this day. It's like, look, you can go do this now and it'll be cool. And you know, it will be great. And it'll make you feel good. But you can go do this other thing you were selected to do. And if you decide to get out of the army, it's going to greatly benefit you. So I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I think we're, we're both kind of, I think we're both kind of shining our own knobs here a little bit. I think we're getting a little too high on ourselves, but I'll, I'll tell you this as a, as a waiter back, back to the waiter thing, real cool. And I'll kick it to you first. You can open up the state of the union thing. 
unless you want to dovetail my waiter deal. There, there are certain demographics that you look for as a waiter. And what you don't want to see is a couple <laughs> of senior citizens coming in, uh, uh, man and a woman, obviously married. It's like, oh my God, this tip, it doesn't matter how good I am. This, this tip is not going Here's to your happen. quarter. Here's your quarter because go out and buy yourself a, you know, whatever. Hey, a quarter doesn't buy. Same. Okay. That's number one. <laughs> Senior citizens. Absolutely not. Number two is military members. Okay. Military members, you know, especially if they're wearing their uniform, bro. Or George. Most, most times they are not going to tip you. Soldiers are the worst tippers on the planet. Oh, I hate that. Uh, there, there are some others, you know, uh, Christians, Christians on Sunday, Sunday, uh, uh, after church, not good tippers. I, I don't know why, but, uh, the one that I loved, I figured this out relatively early in my, uh, table waiting experience, two single college age females that come in together. And one of them looks like they're a little bit upset. Oh, brother, there's my big tip because here's what I do. I sit there, you know, and they're going to talk about a recent breakup that one of them had and they're going to shit all over men and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And what do I do? I serve them their meal. I give them their time to talk. I don't check on them too often, but make sure their drinks are filled, all that stuff. At the end of the night, I go out of my own pocket, at least the restaurant I worked at. It's like if you bought something, you get it 35% off or whatever it was. So I go into my own pocket and I buy them a dessert and it's complimentary on the house. And I take them the dessert and I said, you know what? I think you, I think you two ladies need this, you know, tonight because it's, it's, it's on the house. It's on me. Brother, that tip, let me tell you something. That's the tip right there. So yeah, that's, that's what I was looking for back in the day. So uh, yeah. Uh, but you learn that's how to deal with people, strategy. right? That's, that's investment, investment strategy. strategy. That's right. It's like I told Darren tonight, I'm not, I'm not smart with money, but I'm good with it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> So Roger, okay, yeah, God bless. We're forty-two minutes in, <laughs> and we have like, hey, we're just gonna throw together a quick one. We'll, we'll throw <laughs> yeah. together a quick one. And... <laughs> so something happened last night. Some people said something. Some people did something. What was up? Actually, a couple of things happened last night. We'll, we'll start with the big ones. So we had the State of the Union address, and I don't know how we had the Facebook feed. So you know, everybody that participated in that, thanks, uh, definitely appreciate it. We liked the engagement. We liked it, you know, because it's it's one way for us to to really see what our audience thinks and, and how they feel about these things. And it does give us a different perspective on things. Uh, it gets us out of the echo chamber a little bit, right? Where we're just talking back and forth, and, and we like to hear other ideas. And I, you know, as opposed to uh, the, the, these pollings that you see by CBS or whatever. I, I like to think our audience, you know, is a good, you know, maybe not a broad enough swath of all of America, but I do think our audience is your common everyday American, your everyday Joe or Jill or whatever you want to be. And so it's nice to hear what that idea is, but you know, I, I was actually, and, and those that were on the feed, you, you probably heard Luke say this a couple of times. I was a little impressed at the beginning with, uh, I guess Joe's, well, Hey man, it was past his bedtime, right? He was alert. He looked coherent. Uh, he started off pretty strong and then about halfway through, you can start to hear the gaffes. You can start to hear the words start to slur kind of like our podcast when we get to like our, you know, one and a half, you know, everything <laughs> just kind of jumbles together. So I totally get that, but there was no substance to anything that he said. 
and I'll get into some of the facts later after you, after you give your, your piece about it, but it was really like, I, like, I felt like I, I made this comment. I, I felt like I was at a, at a WWE wrestling event where you have the hometown, you know, shtick where it's the rock comes out and, you know, finally the rock has come back to insert city. Right. And that's what I felt is that he went out there and he said a bunch of things that, well, obviously both sides agree with. You know, we need to help homeless veterans. Yes, everybody's going to stand up and, and clap for that. You know, we need to, to build in America. Everybody stands up and claps for that. It was like, well, well, does anybody in there not want to manufacture, you know, in America? Does anybody in there want Americans to lose job? You know, unemployment's this number. So it was just a lot of one-liners that felt like a bunch of, uh, you know, almost campaign slogans that were just pieced together, but it wasn't at least the first half of it, it. He wasn't really attacking Republicans so much. It was just a bunch of common statements that both sides could agree on, but with no real substance to it. And then you start to see him get angry. Cause like the yelling thing kills me. Like, like, who are you yelling at dude? Like you've got a microphone in front of you. You don't have to yell. You know, everybody hears you. Uh, but then, you know, about halfway through, and this is what I loved and I want more of it. He started you know, yelling, and then he started he started selling, you know telling some half truths in there, right? About you know the sunset on Medicare and Medicaid and, and things like that. And McCarthy, you could hear him like shh shh shh, and people were yelling. I love that. Not the shushing from McCarthy. I love the fact that people were calling him out because that is my problem right now. It's not even so much with Biden. It's the the journalists and as Luke would call them activists. They let him get away with it. Okay, they sit there and they do an interview and he's like, well, hey, you know, he'll make a statement. And then and the, the it's, it's like uh, with the balloon, the Chinese balloon. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Well, you know, the balloon came over U.S. territory three times under Trump's administration. But you didn't find this out until your administration. So how did that happen? Well, you know, we know that the, the balloon came over the U.S. territory three times under Trump's administration. And then the reporter stops. It's like, well, no, you need to tell me. And that's the problem is they don't give any pushback. Check the facts, Jack. That's his thing, right? Check the facts. Okay, yeah, I've actually got the facts right here, and this is what it says. So how do you respond to that? They don't go that. They ask that first question, and then there's no follow-up. And this is conservatives and, 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 you know, and liberals. And I understand to an extent because they don't want to lose access, right? You lose access. Like, what's the, what's the, the Africa Now or Africa Today reporter? That's uh, blown up all over Twitter. You know, it's gotten to the point where KJP is like, yeah, I'm not calling that dude because he's going to ask me something hard. He's going to ask three or four questions, you know, deeper than I'm prepared to go in my crappy binder that looked like, you know, my fifth grade, high, you know, elementary school binder with homework in it. Uh, she knows it's going to go farther than that. And so she doesn't call on him. And, and I blame the journalists on this thing. And then towards the end of the, of the, the union address, He's actually like debating <laughs> with the Republicans that are calling him out. I'm like, I, I'm sitting here looking at my wife. I'm like, is he actually debating they're in the state of the union? I mean, this is like unbelievable, you know? So that was my, that's wave tops for me. That's uh, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it, but that's kind of the 30,000 foot view uh, for me. Uh, wave tops for me are similar. Um, you know, I listened to wave tops are similar and I'll start off with this. Uh, I, I wrote down notes while it was going on, but I was so busy refreshing my, you know, Facebook and looking at new comments that I kind of faded away on the, on the, uh, on my note, on my own personal notes. Cause I was talking so much stuff and I'll, I'll call out Joe right now. Joe stayed up super late 
And I really appreciate Joe. I was really happy to see her on. I really appreciate it. Grant, take after your your mom for, for crying out loud. You know, I think Grant had <laughs> two comments. His mom was just, oh, she was on it. And I loved it. I loved it. So thanks, Joe. Uh, three minutes in, I mean, feel good stuff. He, he looked good for Joe Biden. He looked strong for Joe Biden, right? I was like, man, this dude's on some good amphetamines tonight, brother. He's got his B12 shot. He's got his Adderall. He's got some beta blockers. He They got the medication just right tonight. But you know, Roger, as I was listening to some of the uh, uh, excerpts today, uh, boy, he, he, he flubbed up a lot more than I caught. You know, as I went back and re-listened to it, he was, I wouldn't say stumbling like, like he's used to, but it's like, wow, is this what we're, and I started to think to myself, is this what I'm used to now? It's like, this is baseline Joe Biden. It's like, what happened to, you know, Ronald Reagan? You know, what happened to Barack Obama? How about that? You know, baseline Joe Biden is still slurring words. So when I was writing these notes down, it's like, it's a good performance. He starts strong in parentheses for Joe. You know, that's, that's, that's for Joe. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's weak. It's weak is what I'm saying. But for Joe Biden, it was pretty good. I really, yeah, of course, the left-wing media is going to go crazy over, you know, the Republicans shouting out what they did and all this and that. But I kind of liked it. I, I, I had a little spice to the whole thing. And I, you know what? Should, should Joe be debating them like he did? I don't know. But I thought it was kind of cool that he did. Kind of went back and forth with them. I thought that was kind of cool. I think he kind of caught him in a trap, though, to be honest with you. And I think it was a pretty good trap that they set for him. I don't think Joe said it. I think that Ron Klain, before he left, said it. Jeff Zeitz or whatever his name is, Jeff Zeitz, whatever the chief of staff is. Uh, it remains to be seen how smart he is. But he kind of set a little trap for him there with the Social Security and Medicare thing. He's like, okay, okay. So now that we both agree that you're not going to sunset it, and by by saying you're not going to sunset it, what he's really saying is you're not going to change it or even propose it. Because... Now I'm going to go on off on another aside. What I was thinking today about as I was driving, I had to drive a little bit today, is that I think one of the bravest things that George W. Bush did in his presidencies, his, his two terms, was propose a change to Social Security. Because he, he tried. He tried. And man, boy, that was not popular. And he they had to know it wasn't going to be. But at least he tried, Right. So it's like, I don't know, that Social Security is going to, I'm not going to say it's going to fail. It's not going to fail. What's going to happen is, uh, you know, more payroll tax, and you're probably going to see a, a real no shit value added tax, you know, probably within the next 20 years, because that is just not solvent the way it is. So I'm getting kind of far afoot here. But yeah, I've got a lot of notes here. I, I, I did like the back and forth. I wish we'd see more of that, honestly. I wish we'd see more of that, but everybody would have to be gentle people you know, gentlemen and gentlewomen. I think that, you know, you're the likes of, you know, cause it's a Republican up there, you know, instead of Marjorie Taylor, Marjorie Taylor Green or Lauren Boebert, it would be Ilhan Omar or most likely probably AOC yelling in their place. And it's like, okay, you know, if you say something that's patently untrue, you know, and you get some booze and stuff like that, you know, Hey, address them a little bit, but that the heckling, not a big fan of the heckling. You know, I, and I, I wouldn't call what happened last night necessarily heckling. I think it was under control, and I think it played out pretty well. Um, yeah, I think it was okay. 
uh, I think actually the last State of the Union was probably worse than this one as far as the heckling goes. I thought it was pretty good because what he did call out was a little bit. <laughs> it was kind of out there, and we'll, 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 we'll delve into that a little bit more. But, Roger, this is kind of down the page a little bit, but we can you know nitpick a little uh, a few of the other things. But I think we've already seen the uh, Biden 2024 uh, campaign slogan. And I, I think we saw it. I think we heard it, I think, e- either four or six times last night, between four and six, so that would make it five. Finish the job. Finish the job. That's going to be the campaign slogan. That's what you're going to see on bumper stickers. He said it multiple times. Finish the job. I think that was his initial campaign speech. Now, whether they're going to let him run again, vis-a-vis the, D- the DNC and the power brokers, I don't know. But I think last night, honestly, tell, tell, tell me if you if you view it this way. It, do you think that that was a decent showing last night? Remove yourself from your you know your predilections and your 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 own beliefs on these things, you know, personal beliefs. Do you think that last night was a decent showing for Joe Biden to run in 2024 from his and his staff's perspective? Hey man, finish the job. I got through this 72 minute speech, did a pretty good job. What do you think? So I I think they tried. I think they tried. And here's the problem. And, and I'm going to tie a little bit of Sarah Huckabee Sanders response, because if you guys and gals out there did not hear her response, and I agree with Dana Perino, it is probably the best response I've ever heard Republican or Democrat. It's powerful. Hands down. Hands down. Uh, and there's definitely, there are, there are going to be some greater aspirations beyond being the governor of Arkansas there, but she hit it on the head when, and, and I'll even add to what she said, the choice is between normal and crazy. That, that, that's what it is, okay? And I think that the the cord, and maybe this isn't his fault. It is his fault, but it isn't. The cord that he failed to strike is that he lists all these successes, right? And, and maybe the, the next, uh, next segment, I'll, I'll kind of cover some of the fact-checking on it. But of all the successes that he lists, and that's where the campaign slogan comes in, finish the job, we've done this and we've done that, and the jobs and the economy and inflation and da-da-da-da-da, which we'll, we can pick those to death, but the people don't feel it. And that's the problem. And I think that's what he is going to struggle with uh, when it comes to, if he, I, I still don't believe he's running in 2024. He runs 2024 election, I think, unless things drastically change. Uh, which, you know, Disney's laying off 7,000 employees. That was, that was announced today. I don't know. It's going to change that fast, but it's to sit there. It's one thing to say, Hey, we're not doing that bad. Okay. It's a very general statement, right? We're not doing that bad. We're making some recoveries. We're getting better. But the problem is when people can't buy eggs, when the eggs that they do find are seven, $8 a, a carton, when they still can't find baby food, when they're still paying three forty-six a gallon for gas, right? When mortgage rates are six and a half, seven, seven and a half percent, when rental properties are actually outpacing the cost of, you know, mortgages, where now, you know, it used to be a joke, oh, you're apartment poor. Well, no, now it's apartment rich because you can't afford to buy a house. And if you live in an apartment, by God, you're paying three thousand dollars a month for it. And so to sit there and tout all the successes, the problem that he's having is that people don't feel it. 
and they don't feel it because his presidency has been a failure. And I'm trying to be as objective as I can possibly be, but there is across the board, across any single metric that you want to look at. And I, you know, again, we go into it. People talk about jobs and economy. Yeah, yeah. It has been an absolute failure. And I did not hear one absolute success during his State of the Union address where he, he can sit there and say, I did this, and because I did this, your life improved, and you can feel it improve. That's what people need to believe. If wages go up, that's a great thing. But when wages go up and it doesn't outpace or is outpaced by inflation, guess what wages have done? They've gone down. They, they play these tricks, right? They've forgotten that inflation is year over year. We've been beating this up for two years. Now, they, now all of a sudden, inflation is calculated month to month. Why is it calculated month to month? Because 0.6% sounds a lot better than 13.8% over the last two years, right? And they play this, but the problem with playing all that stuff is you can tell me that, but then I immediately turn around and pay that $3.50 for a gallon for gas. I pay that $6 for a, a carton of uh, uh, eggs. I pay that $4 for a gallon of milk. And now everything that you just said, man, it's like it, it's falling on deaf ears. So I, I think the answer to your question is, you know, he tried. Uh, the, the problem is he really has no successes that he could get up there and tout. And then like you mentioned a couple of times on the Facebook page, man, you're talking about like, I don't even know what's the word, like disconjointed. Is that a disconjoined? Is that a word? Whatever. Uh, disjointed. Disjointed. There you go. Uh, it was like, oh, I'm just going to jump here, there, here, there, just boom, 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 boom. Some things he just blew right. Southern border. Look at that transition. Southern border. We're secure. Next Boom, economy. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, what what just happened here? Like, did we skip some pages on the teleprompter or whatever? But I go back to he has no real successes that he can sit here and and, and hang his hat on and say, hey, your your life is better because of, of what I did. <sighs> yeah, disjointed was especially at the end, man. It just it went off the rails for me. And I was I was struggling to keep up because he was changing. It was like it was bedtime. So often. Right? And I think yeah, it was it was strange because I think I I should have written it down. Uh, did I? No, I didn't write it down. I wrote it down in the chat. It's like, man, you went from this to this to that to that. It's like, how did you get there? Uh, but I'll go back to the beginning. Uh, within the first five minutes, he said, and this this struck a chord with me, and I definitely wrote it down. It's like he said we as a nation have lost our pride and sense of self-worth. And then he just kept talking and I'm like, what? wait, okay. Okay. That's a good point because sometimes I feel that, but there's two follow-up questions. A couple of the five W's there that I would like to, you know, have addressed. Okay. First, when did that happen? When did that happen? Because yes, as a nation, we've lost our pride and sense of self-worth. Okay. That could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. So let's ask, when did that happen and why? I can tell you the when and why, you know, for me personally, it was your pullout in Afghanistan. I lost a lot of my pride and sense of self-worth, to be honest with you in the audience. It's like I lost a lot of pride and sense of self-worth there. So when and why was that? It's like, you know, and I, I don't have many comments here. I'm going to push it right back to you, so get ready. It's like, you know, I, I heard a lot of America is exceptional. I heard a lot of that. We're American. We're exceptional. It's like, yeah, I know, bitch. So tell me why I'm not seeing it. Tell me why I'm not seeing it and how you're going to exactly. fix it. It's like, yeah, I, yeah, I know we're exceptional. You know, let's talk about, you know, the 
the Chinese balloon and stuff. It's like, yeah, pride and sense of self-worth. Just had a, a spy aircraft fly through our entire, yeah, God, we could do an entire episode just on that. Just so you folks know, if there wasn't a, a State of the Union address, this episode would be about the Chinese spy balloon. Just so you know, because that, in my book, I think in Roger and Josh's as well, is a very big deal. A very big deal. And there's a lot to say about that. I've got a lot more notes, but I want to touch on this. One of the one of the points where he yelled, and I was just like, dude, bro, old man, go back in the house, because what are you yelling about? Was He, he said, it didn't make much sense. And I don't want to yell into the microphone, mess Roger's sound stuff all up, but he's yelling. Tell me which world leader would change places with Xi. Tell me. Tell me right now. Which one? Which one? Do you remember when he said that? It's like, okay, well, I'll name you off the top of my head. I'll name you at least two dozen, starting with the Supreme Leader of North Korea. If he had a chance, you think he'd play he he'd switch places with Xi? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, I don't know, any leader in you know half the countries in africa yes dude that was a dumb dumb line he, he was like who wants to be she who wants to be you know the supreme leader of china uh i don't know man that's a lot, a of, lot of power that's a lot of power that's a lot of workforce um yeah i think that was a dumb comment I, oh it was so dumb but one more thing and i'll kick it to you and maybe i'll tee you up with this one and give your thoughts on what I just said, but what does this mean, Roger? I mean, I think I know what they want to be when they say we're going to build the economy from the middle out. Um, Cause they don't want to say from the top down because that's, you know, trickle down economics and that's, that's the devil for these people. Shout out to the Grammy awards, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Know. The middle out, and I, I wrote down middle out, question mark, how? You know, middle out, how does that work? So the theory is to inject capital into the middle income earners, and if you do that, they will spend more, okay? My problem with all this is it's so myopic. Here's the thing. You want to inject capital high, middle, and low. You want everybody spending but how you truly get capital down, I know they, they've had studies on trickle-down economics, but I, I and, and you know, I'm not a scholar on any of this stuff. You get people that sit here and disagree with me all the time about it. But, hey, you know what? We did call inflation two years ago, so there's that. Um, you know, they say trickle-down economics doesn't work. And we've said this before. You know, the, here's the reality of it. If I have more money in my pocket, my kid goes to Taekwondo. I hired a driver for my kid to go to Taekwondo because I was working and commuting and couldn't be back, so I hired a driver. And then I hired a piano teacher. I hired a piano teacher that could come to the house and teach because, again, I couldn't be home because I was commuting, yada, 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 right? And all of our listeners can relate to this. If I don't have the disposable income, guess what the first thing I cut is? Well, hey, guess what? No piano lessons, okay? That's a middle-class employer that I'm helping to employ, right? Helping, obviously. He's got a lot, more other, a lot of other clients. The next thing I'm cutting is Taekwondo. So now that studio, not only just the individual who's middle class, but also the rent that he pays, the individual owns that building, right? And how they draw their income. And then, oh, guess what? The driver happened to be the wife of a, of a sailor. Uh, he's active duty Navy. She was pregnant. They needed some extra cash. And we hired her as a driver to, to drive my son back and forth. And it wasn't a whole lot of money. Okay, we're talking about $20 a trip. So 
you know, get off your, you know, oh, you know, woe is you. But when you don't have the disposable income, those are the first things that get cut. And then when you talk about, you know, this 15% tax, you know, with the wealthiest and, you know, the, the, whatever, they, whatever he calls it, do you not think that doesn't make it down to the consumer? I can tell you this, being involved in, in, in business, uh, you know, whether it's, you want to say it's successful or unsuccessful, I guess that's, that's debatable, right? Uh, we try not to run a non, non-profit or not-for-profit business. We try to make money. But here's the reality of it, is the more expenses there are, the more you have to pass that down to the consumer. That is a fact. If I if I'm trying to sell widgets and it costs me a dollar to make the widget, and then it, it's another fifty cents on top of that to pay taxes, payroll, and, and whatever else, well, I have to at least sell it for a dollar fifty, and I got to sell it for more than that. If I sell it for a dollar fifty, I just broke even. So guess what? Now I have to sell this widget for two dollars. Well, if those taxes go up fifteen percent, twenty percent, fifty percent, whatever number that you want to put on that, guess what's going to happen? That thing, it's going to go up. Why do you think? Put it this way: Why do you? You've been to the airport. You travel a lot. What is the difference between a Whopper in Lubbock, downtown Lubbock, versus a Whopper at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport? Breaking the bank, that's the difference. Right. You're going to pay $16 for for a value meal at at the Burger King McDonald's in the airport. Now, why do you pay that much? Because of the airport taxes. There you go. He's holding up a bottle of water, $6. It's a $6 bottle of water from Marriott. Because there's a there's a hotel charge, there's a resort fee that goes on top of it. There's city tax, county tax, recreation tax, all that stuff, right? And it's no different. So you sit there. The reason why these airports charge that much money is because, hey, have you seen the airport tax lately? And the FAA tax, and the TSA tax, and the post nine eleven tax, and whatever tax they can throw on it. And so that that whopper that costs you five dollars on the outside downtown Lubbock uh, costs you sixteen dollars inside the airport. That's at a micro level, but that's what happens. You charge us more, uh, they're going to pass the cost on to consumers. That's what happens. You really think that billionaire is going to sell his yacht to cover that 15%? You got another thing coming. We all do the same thing, right? And, and we've got folks out there, Ginger Inferno, he runs his business. You know, if, if price of wood goes up, guess what? That gets passed on to us as consumers. Real quick, so I'm going to do a, I'm not going to read all this stuff. I'm just going to go through some highlights here with the summary. So this is what... The State of the Union, this is in summary what he claimed, what he boasted about. So, you know, he talked about the 12.1 million jobs created, more than the number of jobs added in four years under any president. We all know why that happened, right? Under COVID, obviously, everybody was locked down, jobs were lost, and boom. And I think the number was actually 10 million, like 10.5 million jobs were lost under COVID. So if you do the math there, you're looking at what, 1.5, almost 2 million jobs, okay, over the course of his first two years. Which again, historically, I don't know if that's good or bad, uh, but it's definitely not the 12 million. There's definitely a lot more context there uh, that that needs to uh, go along with that. Take-home pay has gone up, which again, we just addressed. Wages have gone up, but they have not outpaced inflation. So, hey, that's great. Your, your paycheck went up $5 an hour, inflation uh, $13 an hour. So, yeah, you're only down 8 bucks an hour, right? So, I, I guess you should be happy with that and, and celebrate it. Uh, cut the deficit uh, by $1.7 trillion. That was due to the expiring emergency pandemic spending. That was a bipartisan. Remember, we got to spend the money. Bipartisan, Republicans and Democrats. We got to spend the money. It's the right thing to do. Okay, that sunsetted. That money automatically stopped. That's the $1.7 trillion, which, by the way, had they passed Build Back Broke or whatever it was, uh, it, it, that would have been gone. It, it would have, he'd actually been like a surplus, or not surplus, but over like $2 trillion spent, right? There wouldn't have been a, a reduction. 
Uh, as far as adding to the national debt, yeah, Trump added 25% to the national debt. Barry added a lot of money to the national debt. But again, a lot of that was tied to bipartisan legislature that they needed. They determined they needed through uh, to, to make it through the, the COVID pandemic. So it's not like it was a Republican or a GOP thing that, that was pushed. Um, talking about imports. Hey, the last summers I checked, we import more now than we ever have. And it's been increasing like exponentially, right? Uh talked about the midterm some republicans would sunset medicare and social security so i'm going to put this to rest and this will be my last thing with, with the sunsetting of medicare and social security and this is why somebody should take him up on his offer when he was like i just contact my office i've got the paper i've got the paper as he starts yelling he's talking about rick scott's plan and when rick scott brought it out the intention was not to target social security and medicare and again this is how myopic they are his and I don't agree with what Rick Scott said. I'll put it that way. And every Republican's come out and, and said it, but they're missing the point. It was the principle behind it. And what his principle was basically every spending bill that you have in Congress should be validated, should be revalidated every five years. I think it was like 10 years, right? Something like that. Uh, it should be revalidated 10 years because much like taxes, once money's allocated to it, once your taxes go up, it never seems to adjust. Uh, like uh, kind of like those baggage fees. Remember, hey, baggage fee. Well, of course, gas is up again now. But remember, baggage fees. You know, hey, we got to do baggage fees. Why? Well, because fuel went up. Well, then when the cost of fuel went down, did the baggage fees ever go away? No, because nobody ever looks at it. You're, you're desensitized to it, and you're just accustomed to paying it. So Rick Scott, the principle behind what he was saying was that every federal program, every federal spending program, should be revalidated every ten years. I think is what he said. Because if it's that important, then we'll vote on it and we'll allocate and continue to allocate money to it, right? He wasn't specifically targeting Medicare or Medicaid. Uh, and, and every Republican came out and was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And oh, by the way, that started under Trump because he was really, you know, you said George Bush should take a lot of credit, which he should, for trying to actually do something with Social Security. And then Trump was the first president, you know, a Republican president to say, we're not touching it at all. It, it's staying where it is. We're going to fund it. The, the problem that I have with all this, when you talk about the war in Ukraine and the billions that we're spending over there and this and that and everything, one, there are better ways to spend the money, I believe. Uh, and it's not even whether you believe you should spend the money there or not. One, you should have some oversight, right, with Ukraine. Where's that money going? How's it being spent? But what, and I'll end it with this, what bothers me the most is they get up there and throw around the term billions. Billions here, billions there, billions here, a billion going there. We're going to, a billion more for infrastructure, a billion more for education. Do you, people don't relate those billions to every dollar that is stolen from every American taxpayer. That's what it is. Every time they sit there and talk about a billion dollars here, a hundred million dollars there, that is money that comes right out of my pocket. It comes out of your pocket. It comes out of the listener's pockets. Uh, it comes out of the, the everyday Americans' pockets that Congress, both parties, Republican and Democrat and the White House, just throw around. They throw it around, man. And they throw it around like it's a blank check because guess what? It is because when they need to go back to the well, like you said with Social Security, they'll just go back to the well. They're going to raise your taxes even more. And you know what you're going to do about it? Absolutely nothing because 81 million of you out there are going to vote the same crap in again. And tying back, I'll end it with this because it, it pisses me off. You know, going back to what you said with the, uh, you know, when did it change? When did it change? Hey, you know what? Somebody should remind them. Democrats had complete control for two years. Biden had complete control for two years. So if you really want to look at it, if you really want to look at a successful presidency, okay, the first half, 
He should have been able to knock this out of the park. Hey, look here, guys, gals. Under my presidency and Democratic control of the House and the Senate, this is what we've accomplished, and every one of you should be able to feel those accomplishments. You didn't get jack accomplished under your own Democratic-controlled House and Senate. So what makes you think anything's going to improve under a GOP-controlled House? It will improve because nothing will happen. It'll just stall out, right? Which maybe that's the whole point. So the the whole thing with the sunsetting uh, Social Security and Medicare and the whole back and forth, you know, you know, uh, ask my office, they'll tell you, you know, and if that comes back to Rick Scott, which I'm sure a lot of people looked over this speech and a lot of people knew that that would come back to Rick Scott. Right. And I'm sure that he should be fired too, by the way, that that will come out over the next, you know, week or so. And you know what? Decent, decent attack, decent, you know, attack on Joe, Joe Biden's part. Uh, Oh, Rick Scott wants to do away because nobody's going to actually, you know, delve into it. Like you just described Oh, Rick Scott wants to, uh, sunset Medicare and social uh, or social security <laughs> decent attack. You know, I mean, I get it. I well, get that's it what he should have said. That's what he should have said. He should have well, called him up by name. He should have yeah, said he Rick Scott, right? Well, that, that would have been a, a more shrewd thing, but yeah, absolutely. I think that was a decent attack, but you know, it just occurred to me cause I was writing down over here. Uh, and I should have written this down like last night in the, in the, in the or today in the show prep, but I didn't have time for that. <laughs> we have full-time jobs. I, I wrote down, what wasn't talked about? And I've got a couple of things. But Roger, I do not remember. Did, how many times did he mention Ukraine? I don't think at all, did he? I don't think he did. Not that I recall. And it's like, that is something. Audience, you heard it here first. Ukraine was not talked about. For whatever reason, I don't know. Were you just going to continue? God, I heard some figures, Roger. I heard some figures, and I know this wasn't in the State of the Union. We're kind of going down a another another path here. But I heard some figures on the amount of money we've provided Ukraine over the past year. Mother of God. It's more than, than we gave the ANA over 20 years. It's unbelievable the amount of money that's going over there. But I think that's interesting that you know, you mentioned that about Ukraine. I'm sitting here thinking on it. I didn't have it in my notes anywhere. And I was halfway expecting him to, you know, really put a feather in his cap. But phew, man, all you see on Twitter is Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. And if you don't support it, you, you know, we talked about this on the show many times. You are a Russian, you know, you're, you're a Russian agent. But I think that's very interesting. He didn't mention that, uh, you know, it's a dovetail on what you were saying. I'm, I'm just going by my notes here. Uh, you know, we talk about the jobs and the economy and those numbers and stuff like that. I wrote down, what did the administration do to make all this happen? Nothing, less than nothing. We called this COVID. And it's like, if Trump would have won, okay, if he would have won and he would have been given the State of the Union last night, he probably would have said similar things. Because we called this, we said, this is going to happen. There will be a rebound because we put our economy the global economy into an artificial coma and what's going to happen when you come out of an artificial, you're going to wake up and you're going to start moving around and and things are going to start coming back. This is natural. It's going to happen. The only thing the government can do is get in the way of that. So it's like, you got to, if you just step aside, you know, we called this so many times. It's like rip the bandaid off, 
rip the Band-Aid off, let the jobs numbers be even worse than they are, you know, uh, do away with the, uh, you know, all that extra aid we did. So all the people in Lubbock drive around with Range Rovers from last year, they were driving Toyota RAV4s, you know, that, that wasn't necessary. COVID didn't <laughs> cause that, but it's like, they, they didn't do anything. That's just, this is a natural progression of an economy. It's going to come back. An economy is a natural thing. The government does not control it, nor does the government create jobs. The only jobs the government creates are federal jobs. That's it. Now they can, they can do some pork barrel, whatever for a infrastructure project to where, you know, it's contracted and subcontracted and subsubbed and all that stuff so that more construction workers are, you know, hired to build this particular section of road, but that's, that ain't going to last forever. So it's like, they aren't creating jobs. The economy is doing that. American exceptionalism is doing that. That's, that's what's going on. So good Lord, good Lord almighty. Ooh, you know, one thing I got a little worked up at was when he, uh, it was so disjointed and it, it's even, it's hard to even recap it, but he starts, you know, crapping on big pharma, which Roger, get, give me, give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. I mean, I did not watch the Grammys, but I saw the fallout of it. And frankly, you know, what is it called India, Delta, Alpha, Golf, uh, Alpha, Foxtrot. I don't give a foxtrot about the Grammys. I don't care what Sam Smith or Sam Harris or Sam Teeter is doing. I don't care. But I did. I do see it because we do track this stuff. I listen to, you know, uh, podcasts. I read the news, and but apparently, is what is his name? Is Sam Teeter, or Harris Teeter, Sam Harris, Sam Smith, Sam the guy Smith. who did Sam Smith. So he did the Satan performance, right? And apparently it was very satanic. Red lights. It looked like Joe Biden giving a speech in Philadelphia. <laughs> Blatantly satanic. And then it goes to the next commercial break is sponsored by Pfizer. Pfizer. And it's like, what the <laughs> fuck? I mean, you know, Ben Shapiro said something really funny. He said, you know, if God is writing the script to, to you know, the downfall of civilization. He's getting really lazy because this is bad writing. This is just bad writing. I mean, whatever. So, but back to the, back to what I was talking about. He was talking about, uh, you know, no more, no more. Are we going to let the pharmaceutical industries, you know, make too, too much profit off this and that. And then he goes to the petroleum industry and he's like, did anybody see, you know, Chevron's profits? Did anybody see their profits? It was record profits. And they did this during a crisis. Imagine the outrage. I mean, he was very pissed off about it. And I wrote down right here in my notes, record profits during a crisis? Hello, Big Pharma. I mean, my God, look at their profits. They were subsidized, by the way, by the federal government uh, around the world. It's like it was disjointed. You're going to call out the oil? Because, by the way, that's what happens during a crisis. That's what happens. Big pharma, I'm not saying it's good or bad, whatever. I'm saying it's bad because the federal government basically engineered the whole thing to give them money to develop this. I don't want to get banned from YouTube. To develop <laughs> this vaccine, quote unquote, mRNA, whatever. But it's like, yeah, businesses make money during a crisis. That's why so many people got rich during the wars, war profiteers. It happens. It happens. You capitalize. It's capitalism. 
you capitalize on demand. That's what the that's what the oil industry did. It's just you know it it was so disjointed. I got a couple. I got a few more notes, and I'm sure you're not done, Roger. But what did you think? Oh. <laughs> uh, what did you think about the uh, assault pistol? The sim? No, he didn't say assault pistol. Semi-automatic pistol. So let me ask you this before you answer. Semi-automatic pistol, handgun. Semi-automatic handgun. Roger, have you ever in your life fired a non-semi-automatic handgun? <laughs> because no, I haven't. I, I, I have not, and I'm not sure I've ever even seen one. Like I've seen one on on YouTube. No, it's in the movie The whatever. Patriot. The Patriot right. with Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah. So, dude, it, you know, th- there's going to be a very big push for the assault weapons ban, uh, and you know, we we talked about that a million times, and it's there is a lot of data there when you look at the original assault weapons ban. What was that back in the '90s when it happened, and and it sunset after ten years or whatever? There's some data there, right? That obviously shows when you look at mass shootings, anything over four. Uh, over four people that 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 die that uh, not including the the you know the, the criminal uh, the, the shooter uh, when you look at the numbers you know they're higher doesn't there's a lot of things it doesn't account for uh, doesn't account for population increase doesn't account for you know percentage of mil- mental illness you know all your per capita uh, stats on that type of stuff so but I do think you can reasonably say that. Because even the assault weapons ban back then, it, it only banned like specific categories. You know, it's like the AR-15 and a couple others. So it wasn't like this broad sweeping. Here's the reality. The reality is they do not care what the intent of the Second Amendment is or was. It's not a matter of whether they understand it or not. It's, well, that would never happen today. You know, I think Josh said it during the last episode talking about wars, right? I forget his exact quote. Uh, but something like, oh, World War Three would never happen. And Josh basically said, well, you know, a lot of wars have been started by, you know, with, with a whole lot of people saying, oh, it would never happen. And that's what it is. It's like today's society, we would never do that. There's no need for guns. You know, and again, we can go down this rabbit hole with that, but it's it's not even they're choosing to address the symptom and not the cause. And we've talked about this before, you know, when you talk about the mental health and when you talk about the, the drugs that are out there, and even when you talk about the prescription medications out there, uh, I mean, you look at the veteran suicides, you know, I think he used a higher number. What did, what did uh, Joe say? He said it was like 25, right? No, 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 no. He said a lower number. He said like 17. Did he? I thought he said like 25 or 27. No, Maybe I misheard. I, I, it was 17. So, I was like, when did that go down? So either way, you know, it's like, Hey, You've got a lot of mental illness out there. We're not doing anything to solve the problem. And that's part of the problem with, with pharma, big pharma now. And, I, you know, here's the other thing. I don't blame them. I don't blame big oil because here's the flip side to this. I actually like it when my 401k makes money. So I don't know, like these people out there that get on this bandwagon, it's like, hey, any of our, any of our folks out there that have an IRA, that have a 529, that have a 401k, you have anything like that, Guess what? That's your retirement money. And you know what they're invested in? They're invested in big oil and they're invested in big pharma. And you want them to make money because that's what businesses do. That's what companies do. And you better start to appreciate it because here's the deal. If you're like Disney laying off 7,000 employees, if your company doesn't make money, you will be unemployed. Okay. That's, that's near term. And then long term, if the companies don't make money, for a lot of folks out there that aren't retired military, aren't retired federal government, or have some other type of pension, that is your retirement. 
and you want that. How do you think you get dividends? You think losing, you know, companies that, that go broke are paying dividends? You know, it's like, hey, take a look at your portfolio. You know, now not to say that these folks should be out there raping and gouging and this and that, because here's the other side of it. I don't remember, you know, the, the left or the right, you know, oil, you can say the left, you know, hey, big oil lost money in 2014. Big oil lost money in 2015. Big oil lost money in 2020. When you look at what big pharma puts in, and again, we can have those arguments on how it's advertised, which I, I think is de- very debatable and, and a good conversation to have. But when you look at the money that they make, look at what they spend on R&D. It's an incredible amount. They also do a lot of charity work. They also give out a lot of stuff for free, right? Now, you want to go into regulations and this and that, that's fine. But when you start capping profits, uh, here's the thing. You're not going to cap any profits. You may artificially cap them. They're going to make their money. Okay, and who's going to suffer is going to be the consumers. And even beyond that, who's going to suffer, it's going to be the investors. Because now, instead of getting your 75 cents per share, you're going to get 12. Okay, or maybe zero. Uh, and then that starts to impact not just you now, but that impacts you 30 years from now. So, uh, you know, look, I, 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 I would be kind of curious. And this is what pisses me off about the whole thing anyway, because on the floor, you can't be held liable, right? They can basically say whatever they want to and, and whatever. But it's like, well, hey, um, you know, how did Nancy Pelosi go to like $150 million in her account? Or Joe Biden's over $100 million now, right? Isn't he like $120 some odd million? It's like, how did he do that? Yeah. They're investing in things that make money, but they don't want you to make money. See, this is why I smoked weed. I w- this is why I wish I smoked weed. Um, because I, as you're sitting there talking about pharma and money and all that stuff, uh, I coupled that with something else I read today about why prescription drug prices are so high in the United States. And that was one of Joe Biden's big talking points from, from, from last night. Um, one of the reasons Americans and insurance companies and all that stuff pay so much more for uh, pharmaceuticals is because, like you said, the R&D is done here. Because it's, it's, it's more because of, you know, honestly, you know, as, as quote-unquote bad as the U.S. is, it's still the best place to open a business in the world. It really is, to, to especially have an industry. Uh, ask ask the Japanese about that. Ask uh, Toyota about where the best place to have, you know, a corporation is. And one of the reasons, uh, or the reason, actually, Americans pay more is because these other countries, according to what I read anyway, and I'd, I'd have to do a little more due diligence, but it makes sense to me, is other countries, Germany, Thailand, you know, Nepal, wherever, if they're negotiating uh, with the pharmaceutical Pfizer, Moderna, where I think Moderna, is that American? I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Well, let's just go with Pfizer because that's incorporated in the United States. It's like they, Americans, you know, will pay whatever Pfizer says it's worth, right? But these other countries obviously can't afford it. You know, this is where I'm going with the whole, I wish I smoked weed or did DMT or whatever that stuff is, because I'm, I, I make these connections and I'm like, I don't want to be a black helicopter guy, but if I'm a pharmaceutical guy, this is what I'm thinking. It's like, well, we have to negotiate the, with these countries and they pay a lower price than the U S does because the U S can afford to pay it. You know, the U S consumer and the U S insurance companies and all this stuff can afford to pay it. Exactly. So we can afford to charge you less We'll still make a profit. It'll only be a dollar profit versus a $10 profit in the United States, but we're still going to make money off this. 
they're always looking to make money. So if you were the pharmaceutical industry, it's like, well, what I want to do is I want to create a bigger market. I want to create another stronger economy that can afford to pay what the U.S. can pay. And what's the, there are two economies in particular that, boy, oh boy, if they were as industrious and uh, productive as the U.S. economy would just be super profitable, there's two, India and China, because that's where the majority of the population is. So it's like, man, if I'm the pharmaceutical industry, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that those economies can compete and outpace the U.S. economy. I'm just saying. It's just kind of it's kind of strange to think about, you know. It's like well, in the U.S., I mean, you hit it on the head with we can afford it. The U.S. has the highest per capita disposable income amount in the world. In the world. So, like you said, like guess what? We have more money. If you make if you outprice, I don't want to cut you off too long, but like if you outprice it for the poorer countries in the world, they won't buy it, and you get nothing, right? They can't, right? Because they can't afford it. So you pr- just like anything else, you, hey, guess what? A hot dog in New York City costs more than a hot dog here in Queen Creek. That's yep. just a fact. That's the way it is. And that's why I get so pissed off over in Europe when I, you know, we go to dinner with some, you know, locals or whatever, and it would turn to not necessarily politics, but healthcare. It always turned to healthcare because they're so proud of their own healthcare, even though it's dog shit. It's awful. It's bad. They're like, oh, you pay, you know, this amount for uh, Sky Rizzy or whatever it is. You pay, you know, twenty dollars a pill for Sky Rizzy. Oh, well, I only pay fifty cents a pill. It's like, bitch. The reason you pay fifty cents a pill is because I pay twenty dollars. That's why. Yeah, exactly. That's why. <laughs> so just shut your mouth. Just say thank like, you. Just say you, thank you. Yeah, say thank you. Say thank you, Zelensky. It's like the reason you even have this medication, your bass backwards ass country, is because. We're the ones that funded that research. Mother effer. So, uh, whatever. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. So, yeah. You know, okay. Another point. uh, I'm running out of my notes here. Uh, Here it is. Assault weapons to immigration to abortion to to back to, uh, which this was a flub, I think. And I don't know who wrote the speech. Assault weapons to immigration to abortion back to fentanyl. It's like, whoa brother who wrote this speech for you it was like he's picking apples off this foreign po- or this policy tree and it's like none of this makes any sense it doesn't it doesn't add up but because he can't talk about any i mean he can't go in depth on any of those on that's that's the thing right and yeah the hard balls he saved for the last he's just and fortunately you know some of the republicans booed that stuff i you know the guy that said it's your fault it's like well yeah Maybe he's got a point. So, but here's here's what I was super excited about, Roger. Yeah, because the second I could afford a $94,000 Model S Tesla, oh, can't wait. Can't wait till there's 500,000 new EV charging stations throughout the U.S. You know, like by when, like, you know, and he talked about appliances too. That was awesome. It's like, man, this is great. You know, EVs, EVs, electronic vehicles, electric vehicles, whatever you want to call them with the batteries. I think the median price of those is upwards of about $50,000. And like the low end ones, like the Chevy Volt, those are pieces of garbage. Trust me, I've done the research. 
and that's the low end. You're talking like, I don't know, $40,000 for a base model Chevy Volt. Um, but then you get into the high end. They're nice vehicles, man. I'd love to have a Tesla. I'd have, love to have a Plaid. It would be awesome. But I can't afford that. So it's like, who are you talking to? And I'm asking, you know, who is Joe Biden talking to when he says, get excited about 500,000 new EV charging stations? Is he talking to the middle class? I mean, that's an that's a softball I'm throwing you. Who who the hell is he talking to? Well, you know, the it's funny because one on EVs, and I've said it many times, there's a time and place for them. And you've been out to the town that I'm at, and I'm assuming it's probably very similar to yours. Like for me around town, a Tesla would make sense. Absolutely. Everything's within three miles. I could probably get away with charging it once every other week and, and, and it's fine, right? But it's not a complete replacement because I also have a 10,000 pound trailer that I pull and that F-150 Lightning just ain't going to cut it. And they try to act like these EVs are the end all be all. And it's like, no. And that's the problem. They, they use it as a 100% replacement as opposed to, hey, use this for those that can afford it to supplement what you're already doing to maybe take off the strain, you know, reduce some of the, the fossil fuel emissions or whatever, which again, that's another rabbit hole we can get down. Here's the problem. Here is why you cannot afford a Tesla or any of the high end, uh, EVs. I'm talking about you specifically. Okay. Because you were a waiter and served in, in the food industry and, um, you much like the burger joint cashiers clearly signed a non-compete that would not allow you to go. Dude, come on, man. What Burger King employee, what you get, somebody, our listeners out there, we, we, we got, again, a bunch of blue collar folks. I'm sure we've, we all come from the service industry, a large part of us. Tell me one of our, one of our listeners, please send us a, a text, email, call us, whatever, man. Hit us on the face. Who out there was a cashier at a fast food burger joint, McDonald's, Burger King, In-N-Out, Jack in the Box, wherever it is that you live, KFC, and they made you sign a non-compete? Like, dude, you can't even make this stuff up. I mean, even the Democrats had to be sitting there, right? Like, or, or like, I don't think my 16-year-old boy, when he worked at Dairy Queen, I don't think they made him sign a non-compete. I'm just saying, man, just saying. Because I'm pretty sure the turnover in those places is fairly high. I mean, it just makes no sense. But, you know, you're going back to your question with the EVs, and I think it's even higher than 50. I think it's like $63,000 is the median price. Probably, like, you're probably right on that. Dude, you know, the only vehicle I've ever bought for that price is my brand new truck to pull the trailer. Like even my wife's Audi didn't cost that much money, right? Back in 2012. I mean, so it, it, dude, he just misses the mark. And then it's, you know, like you said, he hopped all over the place because he can't spend any time on any of those topics because there are no successes. He can't delve into that stuff and he should have been able to. And I think that's where the failure is. So I don't, do you have more notes on the sodas on the, uh, or the soda? Uh, a couple, and I really, I want to hit on a couple of things, uh, real quick. Uh, of course, uh, what wasn't talked about, uh, and I don't have the numbers on this. If we had a staff, a production staff, they could put together the numbers on either the amount of words said or the amount of time, uh, spent on it. But I think that Roger and I disagree and we'd love y'all to you know, go back and listen to it and see if we're wrong. But I don't think any time was spent on Ukraine. And I don't even know if Russia was mentioned at all. So that's kind of crazy, right? I mean, that's, that's, I think that's significant. You know, that, you know, that, that occurred to me as we were recording. So, wow, I'm going to have to think about that a little bit more. The border, 
was not talked about very much at all, as Roger said. And, you know, since we're going to recycle some some cover art, uh, the balloon, you know, I mean, I don't know how much how much time we're going to spend on that tonight. But I mean, the balloon, I think, you know, in the cover art, it's like finally old Joe has something he can yell at the sky about. I mean, I think that was kind of um, <laughs> I think that's kind of significant that that was that, that was completely glossed over. Um, again, we could do a whole episode on that, but. Roger, I want to return to uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And as I'm listening to media, as I'm reading media, um, I'm seeing her referred to as Sarah Sanders. I'm seeing the Huckabee pulled out of that. And brother, I think that's for a reason. Um, I'm with you that we're going to see way more of her because there was another governor of Arkansas who was once president for two terms. And you know, honestly, Roger, what what I saw last night from her, uh, you know, I don't know if it was the beer I was drinking or what, but she started off with a very emotional story. And to me, it seemed like, because boy, I remember the Bobby Jindal. Oh my God, that was so awful. It was, was one of the most awkward things I saw. And then Rubio's was bad too. But I was, I was watching, you know, Sarah Sanders and... I was thinking, you know, as she told her emotional story, it almost seemed like she was getting choked up to me. I'd like to go back and watch it. And I was like, man, is she going to be able to hold it together for this? And man, she, she, I, and I, I, you talking about when they went into, you talking about when she left on Christmas day for the flight over, over to Iraq and, uh, no, it was early. That one or at the beginning. Yeah. The very beginning. And, you know, she's talking about her mom and, you know, cancer and all this stuff. And it, it seemed like she was getting choked up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, uh, is she going to be able to come through this? And I'm sure it was very rehearsed. Uh, uh, but she came through it. She was strong. And I, I told my wife, I was like, F anybody, F anybody who says I don't want a female president. Because that woman right now, I would vote for her tomorrow. Just not just based on that speech, but I know her pedigree. You know, uh, Mike Huckabee is a good man, and I think he would have been a great president uh, in 1988. <laughs> but, but I, I, I had, I, I came away from that. Uh, I was very excited about that speech, and I came away from that. It's like, man, I've got a new leader. It's like, wow, I like this person. You know, uh, this is someone I would vote for. This is someone I'm excited about, you know, following her, you know, career. And, you know, I, you know, so F anyone who says you're a male chauvinist. No, no, that's a woman. That's a woman who is strong. That's a woman that I would follow into combat. You know, well, I wouldn't follow her into combat (laughs) necessarily, but I would follow her orders. What? So I don't know. What, what, what do you, you kind of, you kind of touched on it earlier. Uh, about an hour ago, but um, do you feel the same? I mean, do you see it the same way? Am I getting too excited about this? Am I getting too emotional? No, I, dude, I, like I said, I think it was one of the best rebuttals I've heard. Uh, obviously, she left, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders in during her, her gubernatorial race because of the Huckabee name. Uh, and I think as she starts to test the waters, and, and granted, she's, you know, she's got to be governor here for the next four years. So when you look at her testing the waters of anything beyond being the governor of Arkansas, uh, you know, you remove the middle name there and you just go with Sarah Sanders, especially as she was talking about new blood in the Republican Party. And I think those were, hey, man, she was a press secretary. She did a fantastic job. I expected nothing less. I didn't think 
I didn't expect it to be as good as, as what it was. And, and what really gave me the shivers was when she was talking about Christmas day, when, uh, she flew over with, with Donald Trump. I, I can't remember if it was Afghanistan or, or Iraq and they landed and it was, she said, everything was pitch black. Plane was pitch black. Ground was pitch black. Runway pitch black. And all you could see was the, the little light. Uh, and that was like the chow hall or whatever, while the troops were at, they didn't know the president was coming. And then she just remembers, you know, she tells a story when she walks in there and they're all chanting and we've been there, right? We've been down range and been to stuff like that. And, you know, it, it was crazy because not one time during the state of the union address that I feel, uh, uh, an extreme, you know, th- this patriotism come over and, w- and maybe it's different. Maybe it's unfair because we have the experience, but like, I have that image in my mind. I know what we, I know how the crowd was reacting. I know how the soldiers were reacting. Uh, and to see that, it's like, man, I had a feeling of patriotism. I was like, hell yeah, man. I want to get up and start chanting USA, USA. You know, I, it's like, I get it. And, and, but in all fairness, we had that experience to relate to. And she was a former press secretary. So you, you don't expect anything less going back to your original question with, uh, Ukraine and Russia. So Russia was not mentioned. However, Vladimir Putin was once, uh, Ukraine was mentioned twice. Um, I spoke from this chamber one year ago, just days after Vladimir Putin unleashed his brutal war against Ukraine. That was the first time. And then later on uh, tonight, we are once again joined by Ukraine's ambassador to the United States. So that was the, uh, those were the two mentions of Ukraine. But you know what? He doesn't have to mention anymore because everybody's already on board, including the Republicans. We've already sent how many billions and billions of dollars. There's no oversight. So the checks are already being written. It's going to continue to be written. Uh, and so it just is what it is. There's no, no, there's no reason to mention it. So I love the, the Sarah Sanders thing. Uh, you got to look at the next, you know, her next several years as, as the governor, uh, because like we said during the last episode, now you have a track record. Okay. You're not just some Senator. You're not just, Hey man, I came up with the bill, you know, I voted or whatever. It's like, no, you, you are, you are establishing the policy for this state. So you have a track record. I do want to touch on if you're prepared for it, uh, the Chinese balloon thing. So I, you know, cause my, my, believe it or not, my take is not as big or as deep as what a lot of people may think it should be or, or may guess, because I'm a little pissed and this is just my personal opinion. I'm a little pissed at all the media and especially the conservative media. Okay. Now this could be hopelessly optimistic. So I'll let you be the judge of that. I want to believe, dude, we both spent a, a lifetime in, in the intelligence community and we kind of know how it runs. And here's the reality of it. Leaders come and go and things change. And we, when you look over the course, you know, it's kind of like climate change, right? Whether it's day-to-day climate change over the course of, of 30 years. When you look at the military and changes, uh, you really don't see that much day-to-day change with new leaders in place. Okay. We're talking about higher level. We're not talking about like your platoon sergeant, first line, second line. We're talking about the president. You don't really see a whole lot, maybe where you deploy and that type of stuff, but you really have to take a 10, 20 year picture, uh, to see those drastic changes. So anyway, point being what I want to believe is that, yeah, we absolutely track the Chinese balloon. The minute it lifted off and left actually probably before it left Chinese airspace, I think we knew about it. I believe we were tracking it. I believe we were looking at the capabilities of it. And I think they were hoping much like what probably did happen during the Trump administration. Uh, maybe, uh, that they were tracking it, looking at the capabilities of it, didn't want to let anybody know because they didn't want to let them know that we know what's going on. And that's what you do. That, that's, that's how that runs. That, that is not an anomaly. 
uh, it's like, hey, do you, you know, going back to was it World War II and the Enigma and this and that, it's like, do you necessarily let them know that you know? Well, of course not. You don't. Uh, and in that case, we let people die, right? We let people die so we didn't let the Germans know that, hey, we could break their code. And so, again, maybe, uh, you know, glass half full guy, I want to believe that, yes, we saw it. I'm sure, I'm certain NORAD saw this thing. They're tracking it. They're looking at the capabilities. And you know what? Some civilians found it in an airplane. And then it came out, and I think you said it, the administration was not ready to respond to it. And I wish I had Josh's uh, text when he, because his text was spot on. You know, uh, the problem is the black helicopters come out when they don't have a response ready. Like, you know you're tracking this balloon. You should have something ready. Like, somebody on your staff has to ask, Hey, what if this thing comes out? Now, granted, this thing flew at 66,000 feet. So you say, what are the odds of it? But yeah, okay, 66,000 feet, it's high, but it's not incredibly high. It is visible, especially if you're in an aircraft or something like that. So you would expect the, uh, you would expect the president, you'd expect DOD somebody to have some prepared statement in case that came out. They didn't have a prepared statement, and so then it just looks all bad. Okay, we didn't know, we didn't know, and, and I don't believe that that's the case. Uh, and Josh, basically, I, I think I'll, uh, I can't remember exactly what he said unless you were able to pull it up, but you know, he was basically like, Hey, we were tracking it. We were looking at it for its capabilities. It got to the point where we'd taken everything we could, uh, we mitigated its, its collection abilities and then we shot it down. Something to that effect, right? Is okay. Done deal. But because they didn't come out and this isn't an isolated incident because they didn't come out and didn't have anything prepared. And then they came out with the whole, well, you know, this happened three times under Trump. Somebody anonymous, and I'm not going to mention names, said, uh, well, did that really happen? Well, yeah, sort of, kind of, but we didn't find out until Biden's administration. What? Like, how does that work? Like, did you go to the Wayback Machine of, of Chinese spy balloons and you saw it flying over, you know, the, the, the tip of Alaska or something like that? So that's about all I got to say. I'll throw it to you. I know you probably got a much deeper dive into it, uh, but that is what I believe happened. I believe we were tracking it. We were looking at its capabilities. We didn't want anybody to know. The public found out. The administration fell on its ass, was unable to explain anything, and then the black helicopters come out. Like we said, right? Sunlight. Sunlight is uh, the best disinfectant, and when you don't have any sunlight, well, black helicopters and tinfoil hats come out. That's a really good perspective, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm glad I, I'm glad I heard that uh, verbally instead of through the text because sometimes I read y'all's text, I'm like, bitch ass, Roger. You know, business, Josh. Yeah, but when I hear it uh, explained, it's like that's that's a that's a good context. Um, that's a good perspective, and I I I would hope that's true. But uh, you know, I, I I've been very jaded over the past you know few years um, over these quote unquote generals, right, who have been running everything, and it's just like. You know, what is Josh or no, it's you. Yeah. Uh, what's the, what's the quote? Uh, don't chalk up to, you know, don't chalk up. What is it? Don't uh, chalk up a uh, conspiracy to what can be explained by incompetence. Is that you or Josh? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's Josh. Okay. It's like I explained, you know, it makes sense what you said. It makes sense and I'm not discounting it. I'm not saying I necessarily disagree with it, but I'm chalking up a lot more incompetence, uh, maybe than, than, than you are in your explanation. Um, I, I do like hearing that. I haven't had time to digest it, but I will agree with this, that the narrative should have been this bitch ass balloon. We don't care. Bitch ass balloon. You know, um, we shot it down. We were ready to, 
You know, uh, that's it. Uh, because I want Ronald Reagan. That's what I want. You want to mess with us? We're going to bomb Tripoli. What do you think about that? You know, it's just like I want a decisive. <laughs> that does change perspective when when a hellfire comes through your back window. That changes the the entire landscape, right? Yeah. It's like I, I, I want decisiveness. I don't want, you know, because Biden even said himself, I told him on Wednesday to shoot it down. Okay, bitches, why didn't you shoot it down? Well, the general second guessed you because that, okay, I know it's not as simple as that, but that's what Joe Sixpack thinks. You told him to shoot it down on Wednesday, and then the generals decided the best time to shoot it down. It's like, bro, Ronald Reagan wouldn't have done that. Ronald Reagan would have rolled the dice. Because I I think a lot of people, Roger, don't understand. I know you said after this segment you're good, but a lot of people don't understand the scope of how big that thing is. Back in the day when we were at Fort Huachuca, there was an aerostat, a little blimp that was up. And you could always see it. It was way up there in the sky. And it was a track, you know, the border back in the day. I don't even think it's up anymore, which is scary. Yeah, I think it's gone. I think no, it's gone that's, now. that's whatever. But the aerostats, I think. You know, they're all, yeah, I think it is too. They're all over. It's like a little blip. Uh, and it's, uh, it's on a, I don't even know what it's called. It's on a little wire. Not a little wire. It's a giant wire, you know, bigger than your leg. And it's just, you know, it's it's up there and it's got a bunch of cameras on it and stuff. And I was like, oh, look at the neat little balloon up there. And then I saw it on the ground. Holy crap. That thing was huge. And that thing was only like, what, 7,000 feet off the ground? 10,000? Maybe? It's like it was enormous. It's what people don't understand. I think a lot of our audience does, but a few people don't. This thing was enormous. And they're trying to tell you, oh, it's the size of three Greyhound buses or whatever. Okay, well, that kind of gives you an idea. But what I'm saying is the payload that was on this thing. Uh, yeah, still active, turned over to CBP. Okay, so it's still up. The The aerostat there in, uh, there in Arizona is still up. So that's good news, I guess. But I guess my, my point is the payload that was on this thing, Roger. Um, it's, 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 it's enormous. Okay. You take the size of a, you know, nuclear weapon, like a multi megaton nuclear weapon, a fraction of the size of the payload that was on this thing. You know, you got the conspiracy theorists coming out. One of the things I was not a fan of is people like, well, the Chinese could release an aerosol (laughs) of of biological weapons (laughs) Whatever. It's like, okay, at 66,000 feet, bitches, y'all are stupid. 66,000 feet, that's dumb. But I'll tell you what could happen at 66,000 feet is an EMP. Okay, you, you, if this thing was, you know, controlled, it, it definitely was flying on its own. And that's, no one's disputing that. You could drop that thing from 66,000 down to 20,000 in relatively quickly. And you detonate an EMP at that altitude. It's like, that could be devastating. So it's like, I'm not saying that's what was on it, but I am saying, you know, I get what Roger is saying, you know, the counterintelligence aspect of it, you know, capabilities, we want them to think this and they think that. But if you think for a second that the Chinese weren't also thinking the same thing, you got another thing coming. It's like, what can we do? What can we get away with? What is NORAD tracking? What is it, what, what is it not? And I know Roger is saying that NORAD was probably, tra- or 
whatever. We were probably tracking it, probably not NORAD, but someone was tracking it. May, yep, probably. I don't know. That's possible. But the NORAD CG himself said they weren't. And that was a major, major shortcoming that they need to fix. Um, so there's that, you know. But again, I'm going to go back to I want Ronald Reagan, man. I, I want a decisive. I want I want something decisive, and I did not sense that. I did not get any pride. I go back to my notes. I did not get any, you know, sense of pride or self worth from the way that was handled, and I think it was smart not to include that in the State of the Union address. So yeah, bitch ass balloon should have been the narrative. This thing is this is nothing. This is whatever. I don't know. I think I think it revealed a lot. The balloon thing revealed a lot because the left started saying, oh, why would you ever shoot it down? Just let it go. Let it go all the way back to China. Who cares? They've got satellites anyway. Yeah, but I, I do appreciate your perspective, Roger. Uh, I want to digest what you said because uh, I think I read parts of it in the text that we send back and forth. But, you know, I guess it's possible. But again, these days I'm chalking a lot up to... Uh, I'm talking a lot up to incompetence. So I'm going to kick it back to you and uh, you can give your final thoughts and then I'll close it out. Yeah. And, and you're probably right. I mean, there's a, there's probably some incompetence there and make no mistake about it, it. It was also a test, right? It can be both things. You know, it's also a test. Uh, I believe by the Chinese government, Chinese communist party say, Hey, what is the reaction of the U S going to be? Uh, are they going to, you know, is it something that's going to be intercepted as soon as it hits, uh, Alaska, as soon as it hits the Alaskan airspace, uh, because it does tell a lot about our radar, our capability, that type of stuff. So, you know, there's a little bit of the chess game going on there. Um, really the only thing, you know, I, I wasn't a fan of everybody jumping on it, beating it up, uh, beating up the, the administration on it. My main thing, I, I want to be confident that the minute that it got over us airspace, we were tracking it. Like really, like if I knew that, I don't need to hear anything else. Okay. I become worried if we relied on some citizens in Montana to find this thing out who happened to look out the, the side of a passenger airplane when it's like, Hey man, that's a pretty big balloon up there. Right. That, that would actually scare the, the bejesus out of me. Uh, on my final thoughts so totally unrelated because this also, but this happened right after the, the state of the union. I don't say many positive things about this guy. Um, because I think he's just a dirtbag. However, it is a pretty amazing feat. So LeBron James now has the all-time scoring record uh, in the NBA. And, you know, you can sit there and say how many years he played. He came in the league when he was 18, yada, 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 whatever. At the end of the day, 38,000 – at the end of the day, 38,000 points is a lot of points. He passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar up as the all-time leader. Uh, and from what it looks like, he's probably going to go a couple more years – probably add a couple more thousand points to it. I think you'll see it broken sooner than later. I don't think it'll be another 38. I think it's 38 years. I don't think it'll be another 38 years because I think you do have players that are coming out younger. Uh, you know, They have more longevity. They're staying in the league. Long. I mean, look at Tom Brady, right? Uh, I think this new generation that comes out, they know how to take care of their body. Plus the game has changed. The game has changed. There's more games. Uh, it is more focused on scoring. But regardless of all that, uh, the dude set a, set a record. So I will give him a, a congratulations for that. Although, well, here I'm going to criticize him now. So my problem with him was he's such a dirtbag, dude. They, they literally stopped the game. Okay, they ended up losing the game. But they literally stopped the game for like 20 minutes. All the cameras came out. His family came out. The commissioner came out. Then they started giving speeches. I'm like, 
if I'm Oklahoma, I'm like, hey guys, we're up. Like, what the hell is going on here? Like, they literally started giving speeches. And then they got the ball, then he's posing, they're taking pictures. This was a 20-minute thing. And then when he gave his speech, it was all about himself. Now, I just look at, like, when you look at the Tom Brady's, the Wayne Gretzky's, when you look at, uh, you know, the Michael Jordan's, you know, first, they'd be like, hey, we need to go back and win this game. I I guarantee any of those would be like, we need to go win this game. And the second piece, it it would be like, you know, especially when you hear, like, a Larry Bird talk or Shaquille O'Neal, it's like, hey, you know what? Uh, the, and you hear it in college basketball. I think Beheim said it when, when he hit his mark. Uh, you know what? The most wins just means that I've been around the longest. I mean, that was his thing, right? When they're like, oh, man, you know, and you're going to hit X amount of wins. Like, oh, I've just been around 20 years longer than any other coach. Wins come with the territory. That's the difference. And with him, it was all about himself and what he had done, what he had accomplished. And then at the end of, the, at the end of his speech, he dropped the F-bomb. I'm like, Come on, dude. Like you can be a little classier than that. If you're going to stop the game, you're going to do all these poses. The commissioner is going to come out. It's on live television. You got all these, you had to have rehearsed what you were going to say. And that's how you're going to end it is by dropping the F-bomb. So I criticize him for that. But at the end of the day, I give him a cr- congratulations. Uh, it'll probably be the only time I, I'd say that other than when he retires. I'll be happy to give him that congratulations. So that's all I got. Uh Boy, he's a piece of work. But, you know, credit where credit's due. You know, uh, I'm with you. LeBron's a dirtbag, whatever. But he's no Colin Kaepernick, right? I mean, he's actually – LeBron's actually got the talent. I would put LeBron uh, – Absolutely. Not gonna, Absolutely. I'm not – yes. I would I'm, – I'm not going to put him even in the top three. I'll say top ten basketball players of all time. I mean – Top 10, even maybe even top five. I don't know. And Guy, he's probably he's probably the top three. And I say this because I say top three because there were some fantastic athletes back before my time. He's probably at least in the top three of the greatest athletes to ever play the sport of basketball. And yes. I think that's very, very arguable, right? Yeah. And it, the problem is it's just so hard to, to root for a dirt bag. You know, it's just, <laughs> oof, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. But yeah, I guess. A caveated congrats to LeBron for that. Um, I hope you're right that that record will be broken. Whew. Yeah. Wow. Didn't expect you to pull the LeBron card. I think it's funny, Roger. I think it's funny that uh, your wife, you said the past couple of years, has gotten into uh, basketball, college basketball, and that's y'all's, that's y'all's special time. And I, I think that's great, man. I think that's good that y'all get to sit down and, and have that time. But, man, this is a tough year. It's a yeah. tough year to be UNC fan. <laughs> it's a very tough year. <laughs> who are you talking to, man? Texas Tech, this is a this is not even UNC, man. UNC's on another level, but man, Texas Tech is a rebuilding year and it's so hard to watch. But at least they win a game here and there. I don't know. So yeah, hey everybody, thanks for listening. We want to give a very, very special shout out to Josh's dad. Uh really appreciate you listening and uh hang in there and we're with you. And uh it's all good. And for all you people out there, gosh, it's all the names, everybody. Grant, I called you out because your mom was on the chat last night. You weren't like a little whatever. I won't say that. Hey, word. hey, you know who else wasn't on the chat last night? I'll just leave that out there. <laughs> That's right. Josh's dad's son. That's right. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, y'all, thanks for listening. And uh, I'm sure we'll record one really quick uh, with Josh when he gets back on his feet and uh, we'll put another one out and appreciate Roger for, for putting together the sound on this. And uh, yeah, until next time, keep your canteen cups full and tightly secured. Peace.